Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome into another week of Hoopsville. I am your host, Dave McHugh, and I hope you've enjoyed what has <laughs> again been a crazy week. Uh, we got lots to talk about here on the show on this Sunday, January 22nd, 2017. Um, I, almost a question of where do you want to begin? But obviously we have a lot to talk about. So if you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoops or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hoopsville. You can also join us uh, on, um, let's see here, uh, Instagram. We promote our show on Instagram at D3Hoops or hashtag Hoopsville uh, there as well. So lots of places. That's how you interact. Don't forget we got the Hoopsville mailbag segment coming up. Um, we got a couple questions in already, so we will have that. If you've got others, please send them our way. We will try and uh, get them up and running for you as well. Don't forget, if you uh, are listening to this show on demand or through our podcasts, thank you very much. Of course, you can download our podcast on SoundCloud and on, um, what was the other one? Oh, yeah, iTunes. <clears throat> so uh, don't... Uh, don't waste that opportunity, as it were. Uh, we certainly would love to hear from you, and, and we appreciate any time that you have in doing so. Um, so where do you want to start? Uh, there's a lot to talk about, and I probably don't even have all the notes. i got to call up the top 25 here momentarily. Uh, that's for sure. Um, because the top 25, as we indicated last week, already took a bit of a beating. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and it continues to take a beating, especially on the men's side. We'll take a look at the men's side first. Uh, not as brutal a week as we are maybe used to, but that doesn't mean it's not a brutal week. Um, St. Norbert lost, as we mentioned on Wednesday, its 72-game conference winning streak to Ripon, 81-55. They got back on the horse, beating Knox 65-48. Interestingly enough, Ripon then went on to lose to Grinnell, 104-101, in uh, a surprising result. Uh, North Park is struggling, and it's a little bit weird. Now, granted, struggling by their definition, they're 13-4. and four. Uh, it's certainly, not, I know a few teams that would love to be 13-4, and four, um, but they lost two this week. I believe that's three now in two weeks. Uh, we mentioned the Manchester loss earlier in the week, 89-77. Milliken then, uh, North Park beat Milliken 89-61, then lost to Illinois Tech 81-77. Illinois Tech's only in its third year provisional in, in the NCAA. They are not even eligible for the NCAA tournament yet. Um, so, and it's certainly not a knock on Illinois Tech. It just shows you the 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 level of, a bit, uh, of what we're playing for. North Park trying to position themselves in the CCIW tournament eventually. Obviously, that was a non-CCIW game. They're also trying to position themselves for an at-large or a good hosting opportunity if, if it's available, or at least a decent bracket come the NCAA tournament. Remember, we have two preseason All-Americans on this team. It's a good squad. So the loss to Illinois Tech is interesting. Um, we move on. Eau Claire. Eau Claire's a good team, but they just can't put it together. Now, I know the WIAC is tough, but I, I want... I need the top of the WIAC to stand out. And right now, the only ones who are doing that are River Falls. Of course, the fifth-ranked River Falls beat Lacrosse and Oshkosh this week, but Eau Claire takes another loss, and they lost by 20 to Stevens Point. Now, granted, Stevens Point will make you play bad defense, and it doesn't matter if they have no postseason to play for. They're going to play hard, and they've got a stout defense that will, will be there some games, as we talked about in the game against Hope, 
and it won't be in others. And in this case, it was there, and it, they beat Eau Claire 89-69, that game at Stevens Point. Uh, Middlebury lost to Williams today, 89-65, to muddy up the NESCAC just a wee bit more. Actually, I think that game was yesterday. I could be wrong. Uh, 13-3 nonetheless, uh, but muddying things up. Uh, the rest of the way, pretty status quo, though we had some thrilling finishes. Salisbury needed a last-second heroic shot to beat Marymount 57-56. And there were some other close games. Claremont Mud Scripps played three games this week, beat Occidental 63-58, beat Chapman 62-44, and beat Calou 86-71. New Jersey City uh, is back on their winning ways, beating Rutgers Newark and Rutgers Camden. Newman barely got past Rosemont 85-83 in overtime and then beat Clark's Summit rather easily by 40. Wesleyan took another loss. They'll drop out of the top 25. Wesleyan's been in and out of the top 25. Remember, they were as high as 10 three weeks ago. They then lost three games, fell out of the top 25, came back and beat Amherst and Trinity, moved back into the top 25 at number four, and then lost to Tufts. And, well, I maybe I can't be that... that Harsh on them. Tufts is the fourth-ranked team in the country, and they lost by four. So technically, by the top 25, Wesleyan should have lost that game. So maybe the voters won't punish them that much. They did beat Emmanuel by 30, and they beat Bates by three, Those both those games being up in Maine, Tufts and Bates. Whitewater at least started to win in the conference, getting two wins over Oshkosh and Stout. Whitewater now 14-3, and three, and talk about one of those teams you just, at least myself as a voter, can't put my finger on it. Uh, thank you to Howard to remind me that the Williams game against Middlebury is a Sunday afternoon. Eves don't travel. I don't have a travel partner in the second year on a, they're on a second year of Friday to Sunday run. Yep. I do remember Williams doesn't have the travel partner now. I believe that rotates if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, uh, so that, that Williams isn't the only one without a travel partner. I think Middlebury had it for a few years as well. In the receiving votes category, Guilford, who was on a tear at 14 and two, and tied atop the conference, lost to Hampton-Sydney yesterday, 64-58. Interesting, because Guilford had beaten Hampton-Sydney for the first time at Hampton-Sydney since 2009 earlier this season. So the loss at Guilford is a little bit surprising. Illinois Wesleyan only had one game this week. They lost. Lost to Carroll, 67-63 to make the CCIW that much more confusing. Endicott, we mentioned lost to, to Rogers-Williams. At least they came back and beat Eastern Nazarene. Uh, we mentioned Bethel's struggles when we talked to them. They had lost to St. John's. They lost to Concordia Moorhead. At least they got back on their winning ways with a win over Hamlin. Now they're back tied atop the Mayak because St. John's lost and St. Thomas won. So you have a two-way tie atop the Mayak now, or maybe a three-way tie. MIT, we mentioned, had lost to Babson earlier on. They beat Emerson. Catholic... Beat Goucher. It wasn't that exciting a game. I saw it on Wednesday. And then got thumped by Scranton. Of course, Scranton had lost to Moravian on Wednesday and had lost to Goucher the game before that. So to see Catholic lose at Scranton 92-71 is a bit of a surprise. At least you would have expected that to be a tighter game. The top of the landmark is just not as good as it has been in years past. And Carthage would like to find a hole. They lost to Carroll and Wheaton this week. So that's the top 25 on the men's side. Let's quickly go to look at the women's side because we do have other notes to get to. However, uh, we actually have quite a few losses on the women's side. Scranton, undefeated. I think it's something like 50 regular season games in a row. Lost to Catholic in overtime at home, 82-76. I saw Scranton play Goucher a week ago. 
now I wasn't that impressed. The trick is they were playing Goucher, which is my alma mater, and Goucher is struggling. You know, they're in they're they're with a new coach in his second year. They're trying to find their way. They're not that good a squad, and and that's just the reality of things. I wasn't impressed with what Scranton was doing against Goucher, but it's hard to gauge when they're playing a team like Goucher. But you know, I looked at Puget Sound, who I'd seen, and I'd seen Lewis and Clark at the at the Vegas Classic and others there. I'd seen other Division Three women's teams this year. And Scranton didn't seem like the number three team to me. Now, I don't vote on the women's top 25, but I just felt like they were susceptible. The problem is they were susceptible last year, and I wasn't blown away with them last year, and they made it all the way to the Elite Eight and gave Tufts a heck of a game in that Elite Eight round. So maybe I, I basically chalked it up and said nothing because I chalked it up to thinking, yeah, it's just my viewpoint of seeing them here in Towson, Maryland, it's not fair to them to judge them on that. I think Catholic, though, revealed what I saw. And, you know, Scranton doesn't blow me away in size, doesn't blow me away in, in guard play. They're a good team. I would argue they're probably a top 10 team, top 15. I just don't think they're a top five. And Catholic exposed them, beating them 82-76. We mentioned Wartburg had lost early in the week. They came back and, and beat Nebraska Wesley and Mary Washington. Uh, forgot about the Christopher Newport game and got past a tough York squad, 66-60. Uh, Oshkosh, which had lost to Whitewater earlier, came back and beat River Falls. Whitman, who had lost to Lewis and Clark earlier, playing George Fox, and I actually have to check. Last I checked or got a score on that, it was Whitman ahead of George Fox by six with nine seconds left. So you got to figure Whitman may have beaten George Fox. That's a big win for Whitman. Uh, Bowden lost to number two Amherst and then beat Trinity. Um, Rochester lost to Carnegie Mellon, and Carnegie Mellon is a story of the season right now, uh, if you aren't paying attention. Uh, at least Rochester went on to beat Case Western Reserve to save the weekend, but Carnegie Mellon is playing incredibly well, and even Case Western Reserve is playing well. Tryon lost to Hope, as we had mentioned earlier, and then got back on the winning column with Olivet this weekend. Texas-Dallas lost to Mary Harden-Baylor earlier in the week, then beat Texas, East Texas Baptist and Louisiana College. NYU had a horrible weekend. They're now 10-6, and six, lost to WashU and Chicago, lost to WashU 80-48, and then lost to Chicago 69-67. NYU is a good team. Those games were on the road, but WashU clearly exposed them, and then Chicago cleaned up the mess. And then Bluffton lost to Defiance in double overtime, 79-75. Uh, Ithaca lost to Stevens earlier this week before beating Houghton and Elmira. Babson, we mentioned, lost to Tufts uh, earlier this week. Well, then they beat Mount Holyoke, 108-32. Uh, and Illinois Wesleyan, we mentioned earlier on Thursday's show, had lost Augustana. They at least came back and beat Carroll, 92-56. There are some other notes here. Uh, Lisa Murphy is uh, for Carnegie Mellon. Career-high 44 points, became the first women's basketball player in UAA history to score 2,000 points, grab 1,000 rebounds. Um, that's, in, that's amazing considering how many good basketball players have come out of the UAA in women's basketball. 13th-ranked Carnegie Mellon women's basketball team, as we mentioned, beat Emory 93-73 in that game that she got her 44. Uh, got them on free throws today. Uh, the Tartans are now 15-1 and one overall, 4-1 and one in UAA. Eagles dropped to 11-5, 2-3. Uh, here's one that we got written up. I'm just going to read it word for word. The best game of the day was played in South Carolina. Well, Laverne topped Caltech 
in quadruple overtime. Women's basketball, this is. Carly Cato's three-pointer with 30 seconds left in the fourth extra period gave the Leopards a lead for good. Caltech starters played 273 of a possible 300 minutes with three. Kate Lewis with 32 points. Samantha DaCosta with 25 and Grace Peng with 23 playing 59 minutes. The Beavers only used seven players, one of them which played only two minutes. Brianna Bishop scored 19 points and logged 44 minutes off the bench for Laverne. I'm telling you, that's nuts. Uh, Gordon's note to me says, seems like this would be some kind of record. No way of checking. And he's right. But that is nuts. As uh, Laverne topped Caltech 198 and Caltech had 273 of 300 minutes played by their five starters. Um, so a lot of interesting things going on. Final one, Maryville, by the way, Randy Lambert has with their win on Saturday is now eclipsed 671 wins by my count. That's fifth all time in division three. And I believe division three only wins going to double check this, but I believe Glenn Robinson is at 924 to lead the way. Steve Moore at Worcester at 790. Uh, Jim Smith at St. John's uh, obviously retired now at 786. Dave Hickson at Amherst is now at 779. I believe Lambert is fifth at 671, but I need to double check that. Denny Bridges was thought to be fifth. He's sixth now at 666, but there is a little bit of confusion, so I want to go back and check some of that, but that is a note. Congratulations at least to Randy Lambert. Looks like he is fifth all-time in Division Three men's basketball in terms of wins. Um, I hope you're enjoying the show. we got a lot of great guests ahead tonight. Um, and things we certainly want to discuss. Um, first and foremost, uh, we will get things going in the Atlantic region. Remember, on on uh, Sunday shows, we talk about the Northeast, the Atlantic, the Great Lakes, and the Central region. In the in the Atlantic, we're going to talk to Mount St. Mary women's basketball. Talk about the fact they're leading the skyline, tied with Sage, I believe, right now, and having a tremendous season, best they've had in about four years. Then have it up in the Northeast, talk Castleton men's basketball. Castleton's trying to change the conversation in the NAC, and we'll see if they can do it. They're fin- they're sitting second currently behind Husson. We'll then head uh, out to the central region for our WBCA center court segment with McMurray women's basketball. They may only have one win on the season, but their head coach has a heck of a story. ADHD, he was diagnosed with in high school, pretty much had it his entire life. How he has battled with a severe case of it, how he has fought through it, and who's in, who's kind of kept him going. So what is he doing now? Besides a women's coach, he's also coaching men's and women's golf, which essentially means he's coaching three teams. He's also a professor. How he all did this with ADHD, it's a great story, and it's well worth tuning in for. Very inspirational, to say the least. Uh, coming up, we'll stay in the central region after that. Talk to Rippin men's basketball. Their win over... Um, St. Norbert will also talk about the loss to Guilford, but more importantly, talking about playing basketball with Ty Saban, who may be one of the best players in Division Three. Also, the fact that, you know, how do you get the whole team involved? What is their strategy? We'll talk to Rippin Men's Basketball coming up. And then we'll talk to Guilford Men's Basketball. We mentioned they lost to Hamden Sydney this week. We'll talk to them about that and what happened. Uh, Tom Palumbo will join us on the show. And the race of the ODAC. Randolph Macon's on top right now. They don't look like the most solid number one team. Or are they? 
Well, we'll talk to Tom Balumbo about that. He certainly knows them. He knows his Quakers well. That's all coming up here on the show, and including the mailbag. We'll wrap up the show. Grant, we always say two hours. I promise you, we'll go extra into this one, and we'll wrap it up with mailbags, questions, and more at the end. If you do have a question for the mailbag and want to get it in before the end of the live show, make sure to email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. That's hoopsville at d3hoops.com. Again, mailbag segment is for anybody. If you're listening to the podcast and have a question you'd like us to answer on a future date, which are Current questions are already designed in mind and got from people who did not listen to the show live. Make sure you email us as well. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll head out to Mount St. Mary, talk women's basketball with their head coach. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studios. Uh, we'll be back with more after this. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division Three. I'm a Division Three student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division Three. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. If you got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. Join us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. That's the easiest way to chat with us. The topic of tonight's show is who are the best? Eh, who are the best? That's a good question to ask um, because there's plenty of teams out there who could make the argument who the best are. I think there's certainly an upper tier. But in each conference, that is always the conversation because the best obviously get to control just a little bit of how the rest of us uh, or how the conference tournaments will uh, take place as it were um, if you look at the skyline on the women's side we certainly have talked to sage in the past well they're up in the conversation farmingdale state looked pretty good at the beginning as well well if it's a team you're not maybe used to it's mount st mary who's actually on top tied with sage at eight and two in the conference or 12 and four overall uh, and, and that is already equal to a lot of the seasons they've experienced in the last few years. 
Last year, they were 14 and 13. The year before that, 9 and 17 and 5 and 20 back in 2014. This is a program that had been winning 20 wins seasons for most of the year, but something had changed, but it seems like it's gotten back. What is it? Well, let's go to the Hoopsville Hotline. And joining us there is their head coach, who certainly knows a little bit about what's going on. He joins us on the hotline. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Forgive me, as uh, I have apparently not plugged something in. Let's see if I can hear you. I cannot. So bear with me, Coach. I know you can hear me. I know the audience can hear you. Apparently, I can't, but we'll try it anyway in a different tactic. 12-4, and four, Coach. Eight, eight and two in conference. You got to be thrilled at this point in the season. Yeah, we're off to a really good start. Uh, I'm really excited. I was excited going into the season, uh, based on the team that we had coming back from last year, having all freshmen and sophomores, uh, being one of the youngest teams in the country, and then adding a few pieces this year. Uh, certainly, we've we've built it up, and uh, we've done a really good job so far this year. And I'm excited for the uh, remaining nine games. Hopefully, we'll uh, continue to head in the right direction. You also have some significant wins in the off in the uh, out of conference slight, and we'll kind of start there as we build this a little bit. Um, the win against Cabrini jumps out of me in overtime, sixty-two fifty-eight. That's obviously a team that's at the top of the CSAC and has been in the national conversation a little bit. You lost to Babson, but sixty-two fifty certainly not a bad result there whatsoever. Uh, unfortunately, you lost to Sage, and that's why we're in this conversation of being tied in the conference. But you know. Some of those results you got to be thrilled with, with some others like Western Connecticut and Mount St. Vincent, I'm sure you would love to get back. Yeah, we uh, had a couple losses this season. Obviously, we wish we could, we could have back. And uh, um, certainly we, what we try to do now is play tougher opponents uh, out of conference, certainly to get us ready for in-conference. But uh, the uh, Cabrini win was big. And Babson, we didn't play our best game, and we were down 20 at a few different moments, and we – Cut all the way back to 10 near the end there, but we just kind of ran out of gas. But I was pretty happy because, uh, as you know, Babson's a very solid team, and they've, they've given Amherst and several other really solid programs really good runs this year. So I was, I was, I was pleased with that. When you – do you have – can you put a, a finger on what is working and what isn't? Is it, or not what isn't, but it, clearly it's what's working. Can you figure out by saying, yeah, that's – how we're getting it to work this year. You, you talk about youth. Is it a team mentality? Is it a few players that have stepped up that you didn't realize? Is it a change in philosophy that nobody is aware of? Yeah, I, I mean, we've had a couple of freshmen this year come in and contribute at the guard position, which has been important. But just in terms of our team is buying in defensively. I mean, as of last week, I haven't checked the last couple of days, but we were number one in the country in defensive field goal percentage, which – which carries us. I mean, we, we're built off our defense, and we have better players that have bought into our defensive schemes, and certainly that's helped a lot because there are games where we only score in the 50s and 60s, and our defense uh, for the vast majority of the year has been, been really, really solid, and we hold a lot of teams in the 40s, and that, that really carries us. And certainly you're going to have bad offensive days, but having bad defensive days certainly is not what you want, and, and our our defense really carries us and makes up for days when we're just a little bit off on the offensive end. Talking to uh, Co Coach Copolino here of Mount St. Mary women's basketball. Obviously the team playing pretty darn good uh, at 12 and four so far and looking obviously a little bit further ahead, but I also know not looking past the fact they got SUNY purchase and St. Joseph's coming up in the next two games. Coach, what happened in the Sage game that uh, caused the 58-54 loss? Obviously kind of played 
a little bit into your domain because it was down in the 50s, but at the same time you couldn't pull off the victory. Yeah, we uh, we, we didn't play our best, to be honest. And, I mean, I certainly don't want to make excuses, but our uh, our starting point guard went down in the beginning of the second quarter with an ankle injury. So that not having her the entire game and having our backup point guard, uh, Lindsay, uh, being out to begin with, she only was allowed to play less than 10 minutes because she also had an ankle injury. So we were without, per se, our starting point guard and our backup point guard for more than they each played basically under 10 minutes. So that, that kind of hurt us, but we, we certainly had our fair chance to win and our opportunities, but we just uh, certainly just a little bit off on the offensive end. And they made a few plays here and there, which made the difference in the game, obviously, being four points. Has it hit anybody yet that this season is obviously not what has been the prototypical season for the last three, four years? That something special is happening there uh, in uh, in the on campus in, at the Kaplan Center or on the road? Um, to, to be honest, uh, I, I don't I don't really know. We uh, we we certainly have, have come a long way over the last couple of years and. Um, I, I know the players were excited just to start the year, and as soon as we started out 4-0, that's when it kind of all clicked. When we went to Thanksgiving undefeated, that was a big, big boost for us. And uh, our confidence has grown since then, and it started to grow last year when a lot of freshmen played a lot of minutes, and we were only freshmen and sophomores. And it's really, really turned into a great thing over the last uh, six, seven, eight weeks, uh, especially since the beginning of the year. Once we got off to a good start, we've kind of just – been off to the races since then, per se. <laughs> when you you look ahead, you've got Purchase obviously on your radar. They're two and thirteen. They're the next game you've got. Then you got St. Joseph's of Long Island next. They're five and eleven. Um, the following game will be SUNY New Paltz, um, and they're having you know one of those seasons as well down um, in non-conference play. How do you keep the team focused? You obviously had a tough battle with Sage. You now have a couple teams that are, are struggling a little bit this season. How do you keep them focused on not playing to the competition's level and making sure to play to the level you want to be playing at? Yeah, that, <laughs> I wish I had the, the exact answer for that. That's a, a, a great point. We, uh, especially being a younger team, so playing a lot of sophomores and freshmen and some juniors, we, we tend to do that sometimes, which is a sign of a team that's maturing and kind of growing up and playing down to your competition is what we, exactly what we don't want to do. So we, we harp that every day at practice, and we, we essentially try to take it one day at a time. We try to learn from our mistakes, come in focused, ready every day in practice, and uh, that's something that, that certainly we're getting better at, but just focusing on the task at hand and, and just day by day is, is really important to being going from a, a, a good team to a really good team, to a great team, uh, and, and certainly just working on your weaknesses and, and trying to get better and pushing each other every day is something that we're, we're striving to do and, and continue to do. You're in your fourth season, so obviously the struggles uh, have been with uh, under your tutelage, and it's not because of you, obviously. You're le- you come into a program with whatever you're given, um, and you build from there. What has been your uh, plan so far? To build from what is was five and twenty to what is now twelve and four and looking pretty darn good. Yeah, I mean it starts as every coach will tell you with recruiting, and we certainly got a handful of really good players in over the last couple of years, which have really bought in, worked hard, are really passionate, and, and above all else, are really high character players, which is uh, every, every good program has. Um, but I, I'm just 
certainly really excited for the future based on what we have right now and, and the players that we have and really they've really bought in and really come with a work ethic starting in the off season. We were in the weight room doing a really good job and that led into October 15th and the team was really excited and certainly we've, we're heading in the right direction because of the players and, and because of the effort and certainly what they've done in the off season and certainly now through the preseason into the season, we certainly, uh, I've, I've been really lucky with a, with a great group. So this is one of those rare interviews. I get to say, this is a team that features no seniors. Um, it is loaded with sophomores and freshmen and, and a handful of juniors. So obviously this is a great chance to build beyond this year. And I know you want to go for a conference championship this year. And I know you want to go for an NCAA tournament berth. If that is at all possible this year, but obviously what they are learning this year and the confidence they're gaining is only going to help you out in the years to come too. Has that been something you can use for to kind of motivate them? Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, last year when we were all freshmen and sophomores and we were 14 and 13, I was pretty happy with that to begin with because having no juniors and no seniors on a roster is, is almost unheard of. So building off of last year, and, and having every, almost everyone come back and certainly bringing in a couple freshmen this year, it's, it's huge for their confidence because it's, and last year at times it was tough because we had no leadership because we, had, we literally had no juniors and no seniors. So it's, that, that was challenging. And now that we have juniors that have gone through two, two and a half years and are starting to develop their leadership skills and getting a lot better uh, is really paving the way for, for, for the younger players and, and certainly – I'm really excited about the future, let alone this year, but going forward, we, we have potential to, to really, really be good in the coming years as well. Uh, let's talk about the leaders on this team real quick from the statistical point of view. Jessica uh, Rinney, 10.9 points a game, 7.6 rebounds a game. you got a double-double from Kayla Clear, uh, 10.4 points and 10.3 rebounds. Uh, she even hands out an assist per game, uh, leads the team in blocks. 9.9 uh, .9 points and two or nearly three rebounds, two and a half assists from Megan Curtis, obviously those are the stats that jump out at us. What, what's the intangibles those three or anybody else on this squad brings? Yeah, I mean, those, those three statistically are obviously our top leading scorers, but the nice part about our team is we can have five, six, seven people on any given night go for double-digit points and or rebounds. So that, that helps us, especially when other teams try to scout us. I mean, they, they, can, they can hone in on Kayla or they can hone in on Jess, and we have other – we have Maite Grisco, who does an excellent job defensively and certainly has improved offensively, and, in our, and our bench is deep, and we, we generally play 8, 9, 10 in a game. So, I mean, the, the nice part and the luxury we have right now is we don't really rely on just two or three people. We, we can have an assortment of people score points and rebounds and assists, and when we, we can rely on well over a handful of people to go out there and give us double-digit points, which makes us a lot tougher to scout. It's certainly... Uh, it certainly makes us much better as a team. And you only have two, uh, one player who hasn't played in double figures in terms of games. You have um, 80% of the squad has played in, or I should say, uh, 10 players have played in 80% of the games uh, so far. You obviously will go deep on this bench, and it's obviously just experience. What do you expect the rest of the way? Obviously, you've got a couple uh, conference games ahead, non-conference games as well. Um, you're done with, with Sage for the rest of this season uh, as you split the season with them. By the way, we should point out you only allowed them 34 points the first time around. Um, what, what do you expect the rest of the way in this conference race? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I really believe it's going to come down to the last week. We certainly have several very challenging games on the road ahead. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're certainly not looking past purchase this upcoming Wednesday, but uh, a couple weeks ahead, certainly we have Mount St. Vincent at home uh, in, in about a week and a half, two weeks on a Saturday, followed by on the road at Old West Ferry and Farmingdale. So we certainly uh, have some really tough, challenging games ahead of us, but I think it's it's going to come down to the last week, and, and hopefully we'll we'll still be in the mix in a few weeks. And certainly, I like our chances if we continue to improve and and grow and get better day by day. Uh, six of your next nine are 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 on the road. You, you're going to have to be road warriors a little bit. You'll be at home for SUNY Purchase, and you play three on the road, home for a game, on the road for two, home for a game, and finish the season on the road. So obviously, you're going to have to you know enjoy the bus just a little bit here. That's a little bit tough of a of a finishing stretch. Is it anything you worry about? Is it something you're already getting the team prepared for? Um, I, I think we're, we're prepared for it. I mean, it's uh, the only thing I worry about is us sleeping too much on the bus because we have a few girls on our team that I think sleep about 18 hours a day. So, huh. um, besides that, um, the long bus rides don't bother us too much, but it's, it's more so us just coming in focused and, and just really paying attention to our game plan and, and going from start to finish. I mean, we, we – in my opinion, we have yet to play a full 40-minute game this year. We have little lulls here and there throughout each game, and I still think we, we, we can peak this year. And as with, with most teams in the country, you want to start peaking right around the beginning of February. Beginning mid of February is when you want to start trying to play your best basketball, and I'm hoping that's uh, a week or two away from us. And we've, we've certainly had some strong signs getting to that, but I'm, I'm hoping we can put it together. And certainly on the road, it's a little bit more challenging, but – I know we're we're up to it, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, wrapping things up here with Michael uh, Coppolino, the head coach of Mount St. Mary, and and I I look through your bio, and a couple things jump out at me. Just on a personal note, first and foremost, you had a chance to be a clubhouse attendant for the Boston Red Sox, um, and owns a pair of World Series rings from 04 and 07. I feel horrible for you. I really do. <laughs> that's that's got to be a horrible burden to bear to bear for you to, to have. yeah yeah it was uh it was quite the summer job when i was uh <laughs> in, in high school and through college it was it was great and i actually passed it down to my younger brother cool. matthew he's been doing it for the last several years as well so it's, so he's the reason what? they're not winning say that again the, he's the reason they're not winning yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. To put the ball <laughs> on him 100%. <laughs> uh, but it was, uh, yeah, a great summer job. A lot, lot, of, lot, lot of fun stories. That's cool. Um, I noticed you grew up in Acton. My mother actually taught school in Acton a long time ago. I won't hold that against you. Um, oh, very nice. Yeah, her, world. her best friend actually still taught there for a number of years. Um, but I, I noticed you then went on to Eckerd College, and then you went to Alfred State to be an assistant, and now you're at Mount St. Mary. It's kind of an interesting hop, skip, and jump a, a little bit. Uh, did How did you find yourself at Mount St. Mary? Yeah, I, the, the coaching profession, certainly, I mean, at all levels, you kind of jump around, but in Division three, being an assistant, you kind of go where the, where, where the job is <laughs> um, in, in the region more often than not. And actually, uh, one of the guests that you had on uh, last week, Dale Wellman, actually gave me my first shot in coaching at, uh, at Alfred uh, about 2010, so I'm all forever grateful for him for giving me a shot uh, to get into the college ranks. And I, I certainly was very lucky to start out at Alfred underneath a really, really good coach and, and a good guy who's taught me a lot about the game and recruiting. And uh, he, he ended up uh, knowing Ryan Kavlebowski, the, uh, the men's coach at Mount St. Mary College. And he gave him a call over the summer after I finished there, after I finished my uh, grad assistant position and 
uh, Ryan's old uh, assistant left, and I end up jumping in at Mount St. Mary as the men's assistant. And uh, needless to say, the following year, 10 days before the season, I got a knock on my door saying, uh, we just relieved the uh, women's coach of, their, of his duties. You want to be the head women's coach. Mm. So it's kind of been a, a crazy way of going from being the assistant to head coach. But it, uh, I've enjoyed every step of the journey, and it's uh, certainly uh, it's, been, it's been a great Great thing. That's got to be one of those moments where you say, is the right answer yes? Uh, <laughs> what are you looking for from me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially because more often than not, when you start on either the men's side or the women's side, you generally stay on that side. Yeah. You know, so, so that was interesting. Uh, just to move from the men's side to the women's side, just, just to begin with, yet alone to, to start being a head coach on November 5th, when the season starts on November 15th, that was quite the transition. But I, I learned I learned a great deal and talk about learning on the fly when you're uh, preparing for your first game and you still don't know your players' names is never a good thing. So hey. that was that hey. was an interesting journey. Hey, you, 13, 13. Yeah, you, yeah. Yeah, basically <laughs> what it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, Coach, I appreciate you taking the time to join us. Great chatting with you. Congratulations on what is obviously a terrific start. And I say start, I know we're at the midway point here. Uh, to the season, though, 12-4 and four is nothing to sneeze at. Obviously a tough finish ahead, but uh, it looks like you guys are, are, are in good shape. We look forward to seeing what happens as the season progresses. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those maybe tuning in? Yeah, first and foremost, thank you for having me on tonight. And uh, D3 Hoops is, is, a, is a fabulous website and a, and a way for, obviously, D3 coaches to, to stay connected and to stay up to date on, on certainly what's going on and D3 Hoops is something I check every day and, and certainly uh, I'm very appreciative for because it uh, goes a long way to promote the, the game of basketball and division three basketball, which is, uh, which, which is fabulous. So I really appreciate you uh, having me on tonight and uh, thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time yourself. Good, good luck the rest of the season. And we'll look forward to seeing uh, how the nights do as we get late in February and even in next year as well. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. Have a good night. You too. Take care. Michael Coppolino again joining us here on the show. Again, this team has no seniors. So if you think they're good now, they're going to be pretty good next year too. Uh, the skyline's going to be looking up uh, at Mount St. Mary at least for a few years. It looks like Coach Capolino is, is doing a pretty good job there. Again, they're at home against SUNY Purchase coming up on the 25th, and then they're on the road at St. Joseph's to start a three-game stretch, the 28th, 31st, and the 2nd of February. St. Joseph's, Long Island, SUNY New Paltz, and Yeshiva. Uh, again, six of the next nine on the road, six of the last nine on the road for Mount St. Mary. Going to take another break. When we come back, we'll head up to the Northeast, talk to Castleton. They're trying to change the conversation in the NAC. Will they be successful? Well, we'll see. They lost to Husson this weekend, but they got past Maine Maritime. That Husson game is pretty important. We'll explain why. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studios. If you've got questions for us, email us, hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. We'll try and even include them in the Hoopsville mailbag segment coming up later in the show. If you've got, uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. You can also join us on Instagram in the same, same way. Uh, and don't forget to also join us on Facebook, where we are live simulcasting the show, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. That's how you can stay in touch with us, and we hope you'll take advantage of the opportunity. We're going to come back uh, and talk men's basketball in the Northeast. You're listening to Hoopsville from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this. I used to never really talk, ever. 
Uh, I was afraid if I say something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk. Playing for simply the love of the game, where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. We are calling you, all of you. We are calling all Division Three schools to join our cause. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that college basketball built. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game-winning shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no-look pass. And cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success. And prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. I'm a current Division III student-athlete, and I remember how intimidating the first year of college can be. So if you're a first-year student-athlete and nervous about coming out as LGBTQ, I pledge to stand by your side as your ally. If you can play, you can play Division III. We are Division III student-athletes, and you can be too. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school. I got the Presidential Scholarship, which was huge for me. I think there's more opportunities for academic scholarships in Division Three. I did receive academic scholarships. Just being involved on campus, being a leader, all those things combined kind of get me recognized. It's a great experience for me.
and welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. Join us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. I'm your host, Dave McCune. We're coming to you from the WBCA NABC studios. Um, lots going on tonight. We're still trying to catch up in a little bit, and uh, we'll continue along as well. They're going to jump up in the Northeast region here and talk men's basketball and uh, talk to a team who's, as I've said now a couple times, trying to change the conversation in the NAC. Castleton is, uh, you know, always been one of those teams kind of up and down. Uh, last season, they were 9-17, and 17, about 500 the season before that, and 19-9 the year before that. Well, they're 12-4 and four now, and Coach, Col- Coach Colpo certainly has a bit of a team that's making a run. They lost to Skidmore to start the season and immediately forgot about that. Lost to Thomas in a nail-biter at the beginning of December. Immediately forgot about that. Had a tough one against Husson, but they came back and beat Maine Maritime uh, this past weekend. That game against Husson ended up putting them a game behind the NAC, but they're up top of the NAC. They're fighting for first place. They would love to not have to go to Bangor, Maine, the NAC tournament. What does it all mean? Let's go to the Hoopsville Hotline, presented by the City of Salem, and my and uh, head coach Paul Copel joins us there to talk about his team. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate you taking the time. First and foremost, you got to be thrilled with the fact that you're twelve and four. I know you're not thrilled that you lost to Husson in overtime this weekend, but you got to be thrilled that you're at least twelve and four. Well, I think the the one thing that, that we talk about all the time is uh, you know try to avoid losing streaks. So uh, we've been pretty good, you know, of um, being able to bounce back after a loss, um, and we've had really our three losses, uh, not counting the first one of the year against Skidmore have all been games that were one possession games and, and went down to the wire. So, um, you know, I'm obviously pleased to be 12 and four coming off of last year's season. Uh, but, uh, you know, yes, I, I would prefer to be in first place, not second. Yeah, that's a fair point. And obviously the game against Hudson had a lot to do with that. It's overtime. So obviously a tough match, 77, 71, what went, what went right and what went wrong, uh, at the Glenbrook gymnasium this weekend? Um, you know, I, I think the, the real common thread in, in all of our games, even, even the games that we've won, uh, we're turning the ball over too much. So, you know, Friday night, I think we had 21 turnovers. Um, and, you know, it's hard to win when you're giving the ball that much. Uh, you know, on Saturday, we had 10 turnovers. That's a big difference. Um, so I, I just feel like uh, we're still a work in progress. I've kind of shuffled the lineups around a little bit. I'm still experimenting, even though we're more than halfway into the season. And I just think if we can take care of the ball a little bit better, um, you know, we'd have a we'd have a, a better chance of winning. Um, what does it does it mean to shuffle lineups? I, I mean, I'm used to it. I've seen in my 22 years of being the public address announcer, my alma mater. I've seen the years where. I knew the team was good, and we never had a change in the starting lineup, except for maybe the occasional one or two for varying reasons like illnesses. Or I've seen the team time when they're struggling, uh, and the coach is constantly looking for new lineups or trying to reward players or maybe send a message to others. But when you're succeeding and you're tweaking your lineup, what does that all mean in the grand scheme of things for you? Is it really that you have that many good players and you can't find the right system, or are you trying to figure out who's coming off the bench that works, et cetera, et cetera? You know, it's not really a question of how many good players you have. It really, for, for me this year, it's just been trying to figure out what guys play well together the best. Um, you know, we went into the season thinking we were going to be a pretty big lineup, you know, for our league. And it was really by accident. It was in a Southern Vermont game. We had some foul trouble. 
and I had to play smaller. And, and I suddenly realized it was, it was completely by accident. It was a lineup I never thought of playing up to that point. Uh, but it was really playing three guards with two of our bigs. And we, we it really took off from there and just been much better. So sometimes, you know, foul trouble puts awkward lineups out there. And then you look back on it and you look at the film and you realize, geez, those, those guys play pretty well together. So it's not really a punishment thing. It's been more or less just trying to figure out, A, uh, monitoring my minutes. I've got, I've got, you know, Chad Copeland coming back from a pretty serious uh, injury for, who missed last year. So I'm trying to, you know, get him through the season uh, in one piece. Um, so, you know, a lot of things go into it. But, um, you know, I've been happy with everybody that's been given the opportunity to play. Obviously, not everybody plays great on every, in, in every given night. But for the most part, we've gotten, you know, effort out of everyone. And that's been able to put us in position to win. Uh, what's, so what's the difference with this year's squad versus the last few years? Uh, I would say the biggest difference is our chemistry. You know, we just, uh, I, I know I sound like an idiot as a coach when I say this, because I said it to so many people this year, but uh, we have, we have great chemistry and I don't know exactly how to describe it or how to, how to build it, but we have it this year and any coach knows it when they have it, but we have a hard time explaining it. Um, I think that's the biggest difference. Obviously having Chad Copeland back and healthy between this year and last year does help. Um, but, but that's not the reason why we weren't successful last year. So, you know, we're getting better point guard play. I have a junior college transfer, Jordan Nelson uh, from Troy, New York, and he's made a big difference. And he's, he's made a big difference just in our overall toughness and competitive spirit, which I think we lacked the last couple of years. So it's been a combination of things. Um, but, but overall, you know, I, I would say our chemistry is just much better this year. Talking to Paul Copel here, the head coach of Castleton, who are sitting in second place in men's basketball in the NAC behind Husson, who they unfortunately lost to this weekend. But, They'll get them back. Uh, no, you won't, actually. Oh, no, you do. You're uh, up in yeah, Bangor on the, on the 11th of February. Something interesting, yeah. Coach, that jumps out of me, speaking of that, Huston will be in the middle of what will be the second three-game stretch on the road that you'll face. You'll start this week with uh, games and non-conference play against Mine, Pine Manor, then in conference against Green Mountain and Colby Sawyer. Then you're home for two. Then you're on the road for three. And then you finish at home for one. So six of the next nine are on the I think it's nine are on the yeah, road that that we just said in our last guest that's not easy your travel makes it even more difficult how do you kind of prepare for this stretch to finish the season well you know to be honest first of all I, I don't talk to the team about it <laughs> you know, I really don't want them thinking like that um, right now our focus is on Pine Manor and uh, once we get through Tuesday the, the next game will be Green Mountain so you know, I, I don't look at that far down the road. I, I've had other people mention it to me, too. Um, we've actually probably played better on the road than at home this year, so uh, maybe it's a good thing we've got six out of nine on the road. Yeah, you know, if it's working for you, why knock it? Um, and it keeps the distractions down. That's even better. You have a uh, wide selection of players. You have a player from Lima, Peru. You have a player from Cordoba, Spain. You have a player from Zimbabwe to fit with a pair from Naples, Florida, uh, and a few from New York, Vermont, uh, Connecticut. Um, uh, that's, I think, it for the States. And I forgot the uh, Australian in there as well. What is right. the draw for Castleton to have four foreigners like that to mix in with some New Englanders? Well, I'll tell you, Castleton's a great university. Um, you know, if, you, if we can get that kid to... Uh, visit and obviously when you're international, maybe it's not as easy. But certainly yeah, they can sure. look over. You can look on the internet. Um, we have a tremendous facility. We have uh, great classrooms, tremendous professors. Um, you know, we have a president that 
wants to win in athletics. Uh, we have great crowds, great support. So I think we have a lot of things to sell kids. And I think today with how easy it is to see video, I mean, it's just downloaded within minutes and you can watch right in your computer screen. You are able to evaluate kids that are, you know, 10, 15, 20 hour flights away from you um, when you don't have the budget to actually fly out and see them in person. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of things that we have to sell. And I know for me personally, coming from Hartwick, you know, when I was there as a head coach, you know, I was the strength coach. Um, you know, I had to do everything. And now we have, we, we're able to sell to all our recruits. We've got three or four strength coaches at the school. We have five or six athletic trainers. Um, there's just a tremendous support staff. And I'll be honest with you, you know, maybe our most valuable person is our athletic trainer, uh, Ellie Golden. Uh, she's just done a great job keeping our guys in one piece. Um, so I think we do have things that we offer uh, that are attractive. Um, we'll talk about Hartwick in a little bit. Uh, I will mention, obviously, looking at the roster, too, uh, some of them are coming out of some prep schools in New England. Uh, Zimbabwe, for example, coming out of the Millbrook School. Um, Correct. So, obviously, you have an advantage of, if they're able to see your school through that. that that's certainly beneficial uh, as well for anybody who certainly knows the New England prep school system, uh, which I am a product of myself. Um, you're led by a senior. You only Really, you don't have that many seniors on this squad. You have, what, two? Um, three, I apologize. Three, three yep. yep. Uh, Chad Copeland leading the way, 18.2 points a game, seven and a half rebounds. Uh, one of those foreign nationals, and I hope I get his name right from Zimbabwe, uh, Tony uh, Mashin, Mashundu. Uh, Tony Mushandu. Mushandu. I tried it, I th- yeah. overthought it. Uh, 12.8 yeah. rebounds a, or points a game, seven and a half rebounds a game for him. Both of them, by the way, handing out more than two assists a game on top of that. Um, Jordan Nelson, a sophomore, nine and a half points a game. Edmund Fitzgerald, a sophomore, eight point seven points a game. So, you know, you got you've got some uh, spread there. You've got a senior leading the way. You got a junior who's second, and two sophomores. Clearly, that's a good building block for the future. Absolutely, um, and and I do think uh, again, what's made us a pretty good team is um, we've had different guys step up, and those statistics kind of reflect that. You know, we've won some games where. Uh, it wasn't necessarily Chad Copeland scoring. It wasn't necessarily Tandy scoring, but then somebody else would step up. And uh, obviously, more often than not, we've had Chad or Tandy be the guy that's, that's uh, led us in, in terms of points. But, um, but we spread the ball. Um, you know, our offense is, um, you know, pretty equal opportunity. And we've done a pretty good job for the most part of avoiding taking bad shots. You know, so like I said earlier, when we don't turn the ball over, I think we're very, very hard to beat. Um, that's really been our Achilles heel is the turnovers. You are in position this season. Uh, obviously, last year ended on a sour note. First time in your tenure you guys hadn't met, uh, reached the, uh, the conference semis. Obviously, you're in position this year. You're sitting in second. You're in pretty good shape. Obviously, I don't think you want to go to Bangor, Maine, necessarily to play the tournament. You'd love to have it come through your place. So there's something to fight for here. But how do you keep the team on focus to at least allow the season to finish the way it has been going, and so you can get back to the conference semis, and if not, win the conference and go on to the NCAA tournament? Well, you know, it's a, it's a tricky thing. Uh, we really do, or at least I try to talk to the kids about the next, you know, the next game and the next practice. And, you know, we'll practice tomorrow, and, and I'll, we'll talk before practice starts. That Really, the goal tomorrow is just to try to get better. Um, you know, we, I, I don't pay attention. My, my assistant coaches make fun of me because uh, I don't pay attention to scores. Like, I don't look at the scores. I don't want to know how other teams are doing. Now, obviously, as we begin to prepare, like, to play Pine Manor or we're going to play, you know, Green Mountain on Saturday – I watch their last couple games and I look at their stats and I know how they're doing, but I, but I truthfully try not to pay attention 
because I, I really want all the focus just to be on, you know, our team and, and our next game. And, and that's how I approach it with the kids. Um, I do spend some time with my players just talking about how significant the, the NAC games are that you play in December that could dictate where you end up playing at the end of February. I think sometimes with the kids, you know, they, they lose focus of that. And it's just another game, especially with the AAU culture that we have today, where you play six, seven, eight games in a weekend. And after a while, you just become numb to losing. You just, you're playing another game. And so sometimes I have to get on our kids about that. You know, this isn't AAU. These games really matter. Um, but I, I really try to stay away from um, talking big picture and really just focus on the day-to-day, getting better in practice. And, and whatever that next game is, that's what we're focused on. Interesting enough, your next two games, one's against Pine Manor, the other against Green Mountain. Um, Pine Manor, obviously a, a newer program, but has certainly made a splash in the last season or two, 11-5 and five this year. Green Mountain, kind of a, not a prototypical college in general, especially one in Division Three, who had all kinds of problems last year uh, that certainly caused problems in the conference. Um so you got two va- rather interesting opponents coming up. And I know this is more than X's and O's and, and preparing your team, but you know what is the mentality when you have to play two almost unknowns, as it were? We played Green Mountain a couple weeks ago and, and lost at home, so uh, hopefully um, you know, the kids will be focused and we'll have a good couple days of prep for them. Pine Manor's impressive. Uh, I mean, watching them on film, tremendous guard play. Um, they're, they're forcing turnovers. They're not turning the ball over. So I, I think that will be a challenging game on the road, uh, you know, Tuesday, but you know, I gave the kids today off because Friday, Saturday is just a tough act to back and we're kind of banged up. We'll practice tomorrow. We'll, we'll put a game plan in for Tuesday and, and truthfully, um, you know, you're going to put your best foot forward as you can on Tuesday, but most of our most of our energy and effort will be going into, um, in terms of this coaching staff, preparing for Saturday because it's a league game and it's just more important, sure. you know. Um, but, you know, everybody's different. I, I think uh, Pine Manor's going to press us. Uh, you know, Green Mountain's not going to do that, you know. So you just, at this point in the year, you've kind of played enough games where you've played teams that play different styles that, you know, you're not running into something that you maybe haven't seen at all. Now, you may not have seen a lot of, of whatever it is that they, that they do, um, but you've been somewhat familiar and, and had some game experience with it. So at this point, um, it, you know, and I don't want to be redundant, but it's really more about us and, and cleaning up our, our errors, you know, and, and, uh, and that starts with our turnovers. Um, per Green Mountain, in, in the craziness that was last year, how tough is that as an opponent um, to, A, know that maybe another – a school in your conference is, is up to something that's just, you know, not what you as a conference, you as a program signed up for and B to then thrust yourselves into complete just changes of schedules and adjustment of tournaments. And I mean, does it, even though it's, it's necessarily a green mountain problem, it feels like it always trickles down and affects other teams. How is it to deal with? Well, you know, I I don't think it affected us last year at all. Um, But I, I just think as a member of the North Atlantic Conference, uh, you know, you want to put your best foot forward all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, when you're on the road and you're recruiting and other coaches in college basketball are asking you questions about it, that's not a good thing, you know. So yeah. I think it's over and done with. I think, um, sure. you know, Ben Davis has done a great job there. Totally different program this year. Yep. And, um, you know, uh, they're good. So, you know, like I said, I, I don't think it affected us as a program last year at all. Um, but, you know, like you're representing the NAC, and you want to put your best foot forward, and, and it didn't happen last year, but by all accounts, uh, they've been terrific this year. 
Uh, back to your Hartwick days, and this comes from a, a viewer who's listening to the show, a uh, question about um, what it was like to mentor Todd McGinnis. <laughs> you may know where this question's coming uh, from. A friend of the program uh, named Todd McGinnis. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. If, <laughs> well, if Todd, wants, if Todd wants to say I mentored him, that's fabulous because uh, <laughs> he, he, he's done a great job as a head coach. Uh, I had Todd for one year. It was yep. his second year in coaching. And um, it was quite quite an experience uh, just trying to get that program turned around. You know, we were not very yeah. good. And uh, we have some good stories. Uh, one game, we were getting beat so bad at halftime. I don't remember who we were playing. Might have been St. John Fisher. I told him at halftime, uh, get out of here. Go find a high school game and go <laughs> find a kid. Uh, so that's one of the true stories. So is that is that really mentioned? I don't know. I'm not sure about that. You know, uh, but we have some good laughs and some good stories. But I I tell you, I'm proud of, proud of what he's been able to accomplish. Um, he's done some great. He did great things at Hartwick, and and he's going to do great things at Case Western. Two thoughts. Uh, one, if you're the reason that he's uh, into coaching as much as he is, you and I need to have a long conversation off air. <laughs> Uh, and I say that because he's a friend. And second of all, we, you and I need to sit down and have a conversation because I need more dirt on the man. Uh, so oh, well, we'll talk sometime. Well, yeah, we'll talk okay. sometime. I'm, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, Coach, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Really impressive uh, mark at this point in the season at 12-4 and four, and obviously in the heat of the top of the conference uh, and, and looking good so far. Congratulations to your Spartan squad. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? I just appreciate what you do for uh, Division Three basketball. Um, you know, I've been at the different levels, Division One, Division Two, junior college as well. And, you know, some of the best coaches I've seen and gone up against are coaching at this level. Um, every bit as good as many Division One coaches that I was on the sideline when I was at UMass. And uh, you guys do a great job of, of you know, bringing that out and, and keeping everybody uh, up to date. So I, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for having me on and giving me a chance to just talk about Castleton University a little bit as well. It's a great place with great people, and um, couldn't be happier. Well, thank you, Coach, for coming on. It makes our job a lot easier as well. Otherwise, it's just me yapping for two hours, and no one wants to hear that. Uh, thank. Good luck the rest of the way, and we'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. You got it. Thanks, Dave. Hey, thank you. Coach uh, Paul Copel joining us again from Castleton. The team is 12-4, and four, as we mentioned. Uh, Non-conference Pine Manor on the road here coming up this week, along with conference foe Green Mountain. Again, three straight road games here, then at home for two, then on the road for three, finishing at home for one. So three, six of the next nine on the road. Tough stretch for the Spartans, but we'll see how they finish in the NAC. Should be a fun NAC race to watch, to be honest with you. And you get some decent NAC teams coming out of there. Husson has certainly represented themselves well in the past. We'll see how Castleton does as well. When we come back, we had the WBCA Center Court uh, and talked an inspirational story that you cannot miss. That's coming up. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. This is our It's On Us pledge. It's on us to make a personal commitment to help keep all people safe from sexual assault, regardless of race, gender, sexual orientation, or ability. Not to be bystanders to the problem, 
but to be leaders of the solution. We invite you to join us in this campaign by informing your campuses about the It's On Us mission. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Cheer for the stumbles. The heat should have had bats. And the tears that linger. For in those moments, greatness lies. There, you will find the provoked, the determined, the unified. It's in those moments that champions are born. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. If you've got questions for us, as we always say, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. Join us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Coming up shortly, we'll have the, or not shortly, but later in the show, in about an hour's time, we'll have the Hoopsville mailbag segment as well. Uh, we're well behind time. We've got a great segment coming up, so we're going to try and get to it, as it were. As some of you may or may not know, I actually suffered from a, uh, suffer from a learning disability. It certainly affected me in my childhood and through my education. It wasn't easy. Um, anything like that can make it a little bit of a challenge going through school. I did end up going to a prep school for two years to help with that, along with the fact that the public school system where I lived just wasn't up to what I needed. Uh, then took a year off and I went to college where that learning disability certainly reared its ugly head as it had done throughout my education. But it's a matter of can somebody help you? Can someone assist you? Can someone um, find you different ways to learn? I had my hits and I had my misses. Uh, in high school leading up or in my early school years, not a lot of it there. Certainly tried, but not a lot of it there. Got to this new high school uh, prep school. There it was. There was the help I needed. I succeeded, rolled through school, did very well. Uh, got to college, went to a college that I thought was going to help a little bit with that. Kind of fell through the cracks a little bit. Partially my fault. I would say partially on the school as well. It just didn't work out on the academic side. What succeeded for me was my ability to fall back on sports. The disadvantage was you had to keep up a good enough GPA to succeed or play that sport. None of that is obviously easy. My point being that sometimes it's not the academics of a school that succeed and have you guide you the rest of your way. At the same time, it's the academics that end up, or somebody on the academic side ends up being that point that gets you through. My next guest kind of experienced that from a very different point of view. ADHD, something that is probably overdiagnosed, misunderstood in a lot of young children, in this day and age, almost any rambunctious boy is labeled ADHD, maybe even diagnosed with ADHD, probably put on medication. It's not necessarily good. Our next guest is the head coach of a women's basketball program in Division Three, despite incredible battles with ADHD to this day. And it is so inspirational to hear and how well he's doing. He is Derek James. 
and he's the head coach of McMurray. They may not have a lot of wins, but he's certainly a coach to, to uh, look up to, and he, sir, and he joined us. Now joining me on the City of Salem, Hoopsville Skype hotline is Derek James, head coach for McMurray Women's Basketball. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville. Thanks for having me today. Uh, thank you also for joining me on the um, WBCA uh, center court segment. Obviously, uh, a segment we get the chance to talk to, to women's coaches about more than just coaching, about maybe not their life story, but certainly your life story will become part of this one today. Um, first and foremost, uh, you got into women's basketball more along the lines of you were just kind of itching to get a head coaching job, were you yeah. not? Yeah, yeah. I, uh I had been an assistant off and on for about eight years uh, on the men's side. Actually, did a double uh, the last five years prior to coming to the head coaching position with men and women. So I was serving as a dual assistant, and the position came open. It was my time. I was I was ready to tell people what to do. So. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, yeah, you can't always tell people what to do in the assistant. Some usually you're just exactly. the, the messenger. <laughs> Uh, if it were, uh, well, how, how have you adjusted to the women's game? You, you played men's basketball for much of your life, uh, and certainly played at McMurray. We'll talk maybe a little bit about that later, but how much have you adjusted to the women's game? Uh, it's taken some time, um, you know, obviously on the emotional side of things and, uh, just learning the speed and things of that nature, but I, have really enjoyed it. I've learned that these young women are very, very teachable, um, learn very well, uh, and the connections are better. You know, it, it seems that you can get through, uh, on a different level, just not just basketball, but other levels too. So it, it's, the transition's been tough, but it's been a fun transition and now I've settled in. Uh, the team um, has certainly struggled as of late. Uh, there's many reasons for that. We don't want to dwell on it, but 1-13 on the season, 0-7 so far in the slack. Your one win coming to non-Division three. Robert Morris of Springfield. Last couple of years, you guys have won 14 games. Um, obviously, it can be a challenge in many reasons, but what's been the biggest challenge so far with this squad? It's just finding out who we were. Uh, you know, it's a process, and that's one thing that we stuck to. You know, the first year was, what am I getting into? Um, and then as the, we've got a, our, my assistant's been with me for three years and we really developed a program said, where do we want to go? And, um, we're in that fourth year, or well, I guess the third year really. And, you know, all the recruiting that we have coming in, um, it, it's just been that, who are we, uh, and learning as we go. Um, you know, I tried to bring men's basketball to women's basketball a little bit and, you know, it didn't work as well. So we're just trying to figure out who we are. Uh, and that, that transition's been tough, and you know we, we don't really talk about wins and losses right now. We just talk about trust the process, learn each day. We continue to teach, um, and you can tell the improvements. You may not see them in the win column right now, but we can tell our players are getting better. Uh, so that, that's, the, that's where we, we really judge right now where we're at. When you, yeah, obviously one win is, 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 it doesn't leave much to discuss, but at the same time, I know you guys are, are, are always making an effort you made a point to me uh, off air that the FCA, uh, the Faith uh, Christian Athletes, uh, has done a lot for you guys, and maybe that is an area where it's making it, uh, a distinct uh, advantage for you guys. Can you give us a little an idea of how that's working out? Yeah, it is. Um, you know, we had some issues last year uh, on the program. We had a good recruiting class, and we had some individuals that just didn't fit the program. We had a lot of off-court issues, and uh, this summer I got invited by our chaplain to go to the FCA camp, and I was invited, but I didn't realize until I got there I was running it. So, um, and I, you know, it taught me a lot. Uh, I really dove into the FCA part of it and the Christian background, and it has made a huge switch on what we've been this year. Um, with the losses, with uh, we haven't had the issues off court. Our GPAs are higher. Our recruiting, we're at 10 committed right now, looking at four or five more possibly. 
um, and some of them have the Christian background. And we know we don't force it on anybody, but we're we're about teaching and learning, so we want to give that avenue. But it's made it's made the losing part of it a lot more understandable to where we can trust on a faith or uh, you know a, an idea uh, of who we're becoming. So it's been huge uh, on not just wins and losses, but the overall picture. I guess a lot of people are familiar with Hope and Calvin, Messiah, both Wheaton schools, certainly as being faith-based. People probably don't realize that McMurray is with the Methodist Church. So this makes a lot more sense with the FCA and why some recruits just may not fit uh, the mold, as it were. Yeah, and we, we, we have some that are not Christian background and things of that nature, and we don't force it on them. We just, sure. hey, this is what we're giving you another opportunity. That we're big about what can we feed everything to every individual that would take it and learn from it. So, um, and some of them are like, coaches, I would have never thought I'd be in this position. It's like, well, that's fun, you know, and it just gives them the understanding that when they're coming into our family, that they're not coming into problems and issues. And, you know, as well as I do, that, that's a big battle. Uh, Recruiting-wise, is people have to trust you, and so that they have that trust, um, and they've been trusting really fast this year, uh, more than so. Usually, we're at like six or seven, and we're they just keep coming in, and it's it's pretty awesome to see. Yeah, it's pretty impressive, especially um, with your program. You know, and obviously, a lot of coaches would like to have a winning program to help recruit, but if you could find another niche and another way to succeed, that's going to help. And obviously. The program has struggled as of late, but you're you're not unfamiliar with struggles. Uh, it is kind of maybe your blood, as it were, a little bit. Uh, one of the biggest reasons we had you on was I was fascinated when I talked to the WBCA about potential guests for this segment. They said, you should talk to Derek James and his battle with ADHD. First and foremost, ADHD is diagnosed, we know, for a lot of people. We know that a lot are put on medication. It's almost overdiagnosed, many would argue, uh, as I kind of said in the intro. But from your vantage point, what is ADHD and what do people maybe miss out on what it really is? Um, you know, like you said, there's been so many different terms. Uh, basically, what I can tell you is that it's just a hyperactive uh, disorder that, I mean, uh, many people could watch on the sidelines and never stop. Um, but it, it, with regards to like schooling and stuff, I have a tough time retaining information um, you know, you're, you're reading and then your mind goes off and you just and it's just a constant struggle with money issues and uh, being organized. And you can see it in classes that I teach now. My organization struggles um, and it, it really it, it, it's a hard disorder to deal with because you get so many different things going in your head. You lose track so easy. Uh, and that's the, the basis behind what I've dealt with my whole life is just I get on one thing and then I get off of it and then get off of it and then trying to come back two days later. And, you know, it, it's a constant battle every single day with that. Um, and you try and write things down and <laughs> you lose the paper that you wrote it down on. And so, um, but yeah, it's just the, the concentration and the organization and staying on task that really has been the struggle throughout my life. Um, it started a, quite a while ago for you in many ways. Um, you, you had to deal with this uh, from what you were telling me all the way back in, in fourth grade. Yeah, yeah, I was. I actually was in what they called sunshine school up to about third or fourth grade. I think it was just coloring and stuff like that. So okay. <laughs> well, I did so well, but when I got to harder material, um, I noticed that I couldn't focus in and a lot of it is learning how you learn and you you'll hear throughout this uh this broadcast about how learning different ways to do things um and i think that's why the coaching has come so easy to me because i've had to find different ways of learning how to do certain things but it was never brought to me 
um, in my time, about fourth grade, ADHD wasn't really tested and things of like that. So, yeah, I've dealt with this for early age. Um, the about started about fifth grade for me. Well, and, and how did you how did you go about I guess dealing with it? It sounds like it's not necessarily one of those things that you can truly understand at the beginning, and maybe even truly understand now. Right. I, well, sports was the easiest way because uh, you're active. Um, but in the classroom, the really way I dealt with it is I acted out. Um, I was disruptive in class. I didn't want to be there, uh, especially test taking. If the tests were tough, I'd find something else to do, go to the bathroom, do things of that nature, just so I could get away from it because it was too frustrating. Um, and when it, you get frustrated, and I've noticed over this, that you tend to just disappear from it, get away from it. You know, I, I caused trouble. Uh, it, it was an easy access to get out of there. Uh, so I really found time to do other things than what I was supposed to be doing. When we move on to uh, after fourth grade and you start to deal with this and you get into junior high, how much did this start to just pile on? It piled on quite a bit. The material got tougher, you know, a lot of stuff I didn't understand. Um, and back then I didn't have a lot of extra help. I didn't have people taking me under wing and say, hey, listen, let's let's try this learning strategy or this learning strategy so when that information came up boy it, it hit me hard and I struggled pretty bad uh, in fact it almost got to a point where I didn't even get out of eighth grade um, and it, it, it took a toll that I became a behavior issue um, that I just was talkative and nonstop and that stuff so it, it was a, it, that's where it really hit home what were your biggest struggles especially as you got into high school uh, wondering if I was going to get out of high school. Actually, you know, you figure that information just gets more tough and more tough. And then, you know, it got to a point where they started medicating me. And that's where a lot more struggles hit. Because one thing I noticed, uh, when I, maybe we were going to talk about it, but Ritalin was mm -hmm. the big thing then. And I, they hit me with Ritalin. Well, it affected me not only in academics, but then it started affecting me my whole life. Turned me into what I called a zombie. Uh, I was tired. I, I'd fall asleep in class. Uh, I guess that's what they were after. At least I wasn't talking. <laughs> <laughs> so they, I guess they, it worked. But, you know, then I, I wasn't retaining information because I still wasn't listening. So um, I dealt with some health issues with Ritalin. It was, uh, you know, I had some heart issues. If, uh, it just, things weren't going well. Um, so, and my GPA was really low. So that first part of high school was really tough. In some ways, the Ritalin worked. In other ways, the side effects were what were kind of now hurting you, it sounds like. Yeah, correct. It, 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 I, I wasn't sleeping well um, because then I, that would wear off and then I was hyperactive all night. I, I've had, in a very different way, interesting effects where the medicine was doing what I needed it to do, but the side effects became more of the problem or the side effects maybe manifest the problem even worse and the medicine was constantly changing. It made it very difficult for me to say, okay, yeah, I agree with you, my new doctor. We should not be on this medication. I need to be going in a different direction made that a very difficult decision because I realized what I was about to go through could have been worse than I was already in. How tough was it uh, for, to then maybe make the decision to go away from Ritalin? Well, it was tough. Um, and I tell you, when I got off of Ritalin, it was been about my junior year. Um, and that's, I, I, I was tired of being a zombie. I, that was not my life. I didn't want to be medicated to the point where my hyperactivity was just completely diminished because I think that's why I became a, a successful athlete is because I, I knew how to use that to my benefit, not in the classroom, but outside of it. And, 
you know, so when we got off that, it, it was a pretty major change. I mean, my body went through some some rigorous times. Uh, obviously, with medication, you completely just, I went to my parents and said, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. I'm not enjoying anything. I mean, almost to a point where it was like depression um, because you, you that it wasn't me. So it, it does, it affected me quite a bit. So there had to have been a breakthrough because we're talking now to a man who's graduated college. He's got his master's degree. He's coaching a basketball program and a golf program, we may add. Uh, and we can talk about some of the other achievements later on. So there had to have been a breakthrough because there's no way you, you barely survive eighth grade. There's no way you barely survive high school. And you are where you are now with degrees. So there had to have been, and I'm sure there were, and I know there were a few, but what was the first breakthrough? It became my junior year, and I, I apologize because the teacher's name slipped my mind, but I had a, a teacher take me in, um, and, you know, that was when my first testing really came about and said, yeah, you know, you're, you're dealing with ADHD, and you have the learning disability, and we got to get you figured out because we don't want you here. <laughs> I, probably because I was hyperactive, so they wanted sure. me out of there. They want to keep me, but uh, they, she took me in. I went to a behavior disorder classroom, and I was scared of it at first because you always get labeled back then, but yeah. I, it was it was a tough one, but I broke through and went in there. And my last year and a half, she sat down. We did one-on-one -on -one work, um, helped me to focus, did new learning objectives, how to study, how to do these things. And it, it made a huge difference. I actually enjoyed going in there. It was one of those things where I, I woke up, got up, going, I know I'm going to do something today, which is good in the classroom because struggling since fifth grade all the way up to the, almost the end of my junior year. Did really well, got an ACT that year of 20, um, which if I wouldn't have met her, I'm not sure what it would have been. Um, ended up that senior year getting like a 3.0 something, which is doesn't sound like a lot to a lot of people. But Oh, no, that's awesome. <laughs> when you're at a 2.1 most of your yeah. high school career and do that, it was it's probably one of the greatest feelings I've had. I, I'm right there with you, almost lockstep. Not the same diagnosis as I said at the beginning, learning disability. It was a tutor in my junior year who figured things out for me, and I roared through the rest of a very challenging high school. Uh, and you're right, 3.0 to me is, is a 4.0 to most students, and so yeah. I can appreciate that from your vantage point. But I experienced what I think you experienced. You leave the high school, you've got these these tools but you still don't know really how to use them on your own. You get to college and you're back on your own again. Yeah, it, that, that hit me hard again. I thought I was fixed and then I leave and, you know, she leaves. Uh, and then I, I step into that college rank and ho, and I thought high school was tough. Yeah. Um, and then there's a whole new set of like realistic stuff that I'm about to face and it, it came crashing down again. But again, there has to be a breakthrough here because you graduated and you went to, to, to postgraduate school and, and you're a coach now. You're at McMurray, so obviously they loved you for some reason. Uh, what was the breakthrough in college? Well, I went to a JUCO for two years and I really struggled and couldn't do anything on my own. I, you know, I failed money-wise. I failed. I worked in a factory. I didn't make the basketball team there. So, you know, as well as I do as an athlete, that was my only saving grace and I lost that. And that's, it just completely fell out of the sky for me. So I said, I need to get out of here. And I, I have a brother that lives here in Jacksonville who my, my brothers are amazing because they pushed me through and the big reason why I'm here um, is because of my two brothers. But they, they pushed me to get back into athletics. He got me down here to McMurray, worked in here, um, still struggled here. Uh, I got here my first year and nobody really knew who I was because I wasn't recruited. I, I was a walk-on. I uh, just walked into school and said, I'm here to play. And so 
I did. And I struggled my first year again because I was on my own and then met a professor, Dr. Claire Jerry, who took me under her wing and completely taught me everything. I mean, how to talk, how to communicate, how to how to work through strategies. My assistant coach was my math teacher who I can't I barely add, let alone do any numbers, taught me math, how to how to do. Uh, so I had these professors that took me under the wing and knew my struggles and brought me through, um, which is probably one of the reasons why I'm still here, because that, that that's what they did for me. And so they taught me these things, the, the learning strategies and things like that. And here I am. I went from a 1.51 my freshman year to graduating with a 3.1 at McMurray. That's pretty impressive. I can't say I did that. Um, <laughs> I'm curious, though, you had to have thus retained a lot of this stuff because it's it, after this, we'll tell people you graduate from American University with a master's degree with a 3.8 you're teaching college courses now your head coach as we mentioned of women's basketball and men's and women's golf um you and you buy that you know again a master's degree in sports management obviously whatever you learned in college you've been able to retain and keep using what what have you learned uh i think maturity was one of them uh well, that helps yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i've learned that every issue has a, a solution you just got to figure out a way i, I became a learner um, I, I listened more, I, I read more, I started studying more, um, and I was never taught that until I got to McMurray is, you know, find other avenues. Um, uh, there's people before you that have went through your same issues. How do you find that? So I was opened up to a whole new realm of things. Um, and, and it came to where every issue I have or every situation I approach, there's five or six different ways to go about it. And it, one way might not work for you, but the, the third or fourth might. Um, so that's what I really retained is that whatever you're facing, find solutions. Just what, there's a different way of learning things. Even from plays that I had to try and run, the salt and pepper shaker. I, could, I couldn't watch film and retain anything because I was thinking about other things and I couldn't concentrate. But if I put things in front of me, uh, I mean, in restaurants, the salt and pepper shaker became my friends and I could run plays that way. So mm. it's just learning how to do different things that are going to set in my mind that I can understand and it's not over overbearing uh to where i lose concentration and things of that nature what do you still deal with now <laughs> or I, get, I get that the list might be long <laughs> you, you remember what i'm doing i coach about three yeah. four different sports so you know i really have to come in and I, every day i got to start fresh say okay i have to concentrate on one or two things at a time um if i don't if i if i just come in with a clean slate and don't have anything written down it's a disaster day for me uh, i get off track and come to about three o'clock, I realized I haven't done a thing. Um, and you'll even hear my my players that come around and, hey, what'd you do today? I did three things. They're like, oh my gosh, I think they stand in a clap for me because they realize what my day consists of. So I have to start from right when I wake up. Um, and if I'm late or do something like that, the day's, day's, it's a tough one. There's an element here of trust. Obviously the athletics department trusts you because I don't think I hear this kind of story I can imagine that many athletic directors go, yeah, let's put them in charge of a program. And you know what? Let's make it two or technically three because men's and women's golf, you could argue, are two different programs. And they really are two different programs. Oh, we're also going to let them be a professor. I mean, there's clearly a level of trust here that let's let's be blunt. You probably didn't have in high school and you probably didn't even have in college. You're right. I, 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 
I can't speak more highly of this place than I can. I mean, this place has done so much. They they put a lot of trust in me, and uh, my athletic director is he's, he's a great person. Um, he knows the work that I put in, and he knows that I've str- I, what I struggle on. But the good thing about this place is they they help. They work with you. Um, the president has uh, instilled a ton of trust. A provost. Even the the business and sports management uh, heads have said, "Here you go. You know, he does a good job. He, I know it's a lot, but uh, and they know my struggles. I'll go in and say, hey, I'm, I'm I struggle with this issue, uh, this segment in class. Well, let me teach it for you. Let me help you. Let me show you some things. So instead of just going in and trying to do it on my own and fail, that I've learned that go in and find, talk to them, figure out, hey, I, fundraising, I'm struggling. Uh, I got fundraising gurus all over this place that they say, hey, try this, try this, try this. So they do. But the difference is, and this is what I didn't have in junior high and high school, I have help. I have people pushing me and I have people believing. And that's the difference between what I went through early in my childhood to now is the belief that people put in the trust. Whereas you were a troublemaker, but now we see who you actually are and what you can be. Um, And that, you know, that's kind of what's shape my coaching philosophy. So. Now let me throw another curveball from my own vantage point here. You can ask for that help because now you tr- you trust that that help is there or you trust that those people care, whereas in the past you probably couldn't have asked for help because you re- weren't really sure anybody would have taken you seriously. You're exactly right. Uh, and when you're you've been told you're this or this for so long, you just shut down. You don't you don't trust anybody. You're you're done with them. Um, and then when people hand you the opportunity, you're like, wow, this is amazing. And it, it, they just keep popping up. Uh, it, like I said, this is my third class, of which I can't even believe. And if people that are listening know that I'm teaching college courses, some of them might have keeled over right now. So that's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, knowing that I'm a teacher might scare a few people. But that's and that's the testament to what we're going through, you know. And uh, but the trust has just been that's it's it's good to be trusted for once. And and, and we should point something out here. You are a Hall of Fame member in both basketball and golf at McMurray. You are a Hall of Fame member for the SLIAC in both sports. You went on and played in the Gateway PGA Tour for three years. You have clearly taken advantage of the help when you got it, and you have excelled in more ways than anybody could probably have imagined. Now, I'm not talking just junior high and high school. I'm just talking about even maybe five years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. You know, I I was always an athlete um, and did some good things in high school, but never, never this, never to the what I've went through. And you know, um, I had a lot of great coaches. I mean, that put that trust, made me a captain, um, made me leader on the golf team, things of that nature. And it's like, I see it now. It, It took a while to see that, but then I look back at high school and I was just, I was just a player. Here, go out, go out. And I, I did have some good coaches, but it was too late. Um, it was my last year of high school. But then you get to this college and then the things that they've given me, I mean, they give a, give a kid off the street, I, just walking in, the opportunity. And it's like, wow. You know, I started four years in golf, three years in basketball. And it was like, why would you trust a kid that you don't know? But, you know, they, they gave me those opportunities, taught me this, taught me that, became stronger. Um, you know, golf, obviously, people understand is one of the hardest games mentality-wise to play. Um, and I struggled with that. My my coach uh, broke me of that, showed me different ways. I was a head case. Um, I couldn't concentrate uh, over a five-foot putt, looked like a 30. So, you know, in the, those are the things. He showed me a different way. Well, you know, he cleared my attitude and everything else, and that, that transitioned to who I was. Um, you, you're not on Ritalin. 
But I, but some I, I can't imagine you're going completely scot-free. Have you been able to find any things that can help you medication-wise? And I'm using that term very generically. <laughs> yeah, actually, I did find some about a year ago. Um, I, I a buddy, my chiropractor uh, here in town, who's always treated me and taken care of me through my sports and stuff, had introduced me to a product called Zeal, which is a it's a natural uh, uh, product that is a business that I'm also a part of. But it, it, it they. It came in and it's mental clarity and it's helped me. It's helped me settle down. Um, hyperactivity can be controlled, but I found a natural way. And I said, you know, I was very leery of it at first, but when I was taking that, I was like, wow, you know, it calms me down. It keeps me focused, uh, and it's good because I don't I don't deal with medications uh, very often because of what I went through. I'm very very scared of medications, and sure. so I did find something that's helped, uh, and I really enjoy it. Um, and furthermore, I know I had this experience on a handful of occasions. Have you had a moment where somebody during your challenging periods has walked up to you and basically said, well done? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, um, I heard it from my wife. You know, uh, you, you don't realize the things you're going through and then your wife tells you, hey, I'm very proud of you. And it's mm -hmm. like, wow. You know, and that's when you hear it from that and your brother, my brothers, you know, every time I'm around them, they're like, man, this is awesome. You know, they're, they're at the games and they're supporting me. They're doing all that stuff. It, when you, I have a great family and then, you know, everywhere around here, uh, you know, my, even my players, you know, they're, they're learning from me and they're very, uh, very close to us. So I, I hear it a lot. I, I, I really try not to get too involved in that. But when you do hear it, it's like, wow, you know, so that family, my family has been huge for that. I could talk to you forever about this. <laughs> I find the story blows my mind. It's amazing to see how you've been able to overcome this. And again, as I said a couple times now, ADHD is a, maybe a little bit overprescribed. Anybody, any boy who's hyperactive in grade school gets labeled with ADHD, and it, it may just be being a boy, which <laughs> also may be a detriment to you because when you say, I have ADHD, people will probably roll their eyes a little bit and go, oh, sure you do. Um, I'm... I'm amazed by your story, and I don't think I've been able to touch the iceberg. I think we've only hit the tip of it, and, and I appreciate you taking time. Unfortunately, I don't have 10 hours. Oh, wait, that's coming up in a couple of weeks. We could have talked about this on the marathon for 10 hours if we wanted to, though I don't think I could have kept your attention. You can't. Yeah, I was going to say, 20, 25 minutes after about that, you, yeah. you wouldn't see me on this camera, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, I was going to say, we'd probably lose you pretty quick. So before we lose you... Uh, I do want to ask you some fun questions that we have every time with the WBCA Center Court. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, just kind of off the top of your head type things. I have a feeling I know where some of these questions are going to go, but uh, if you don't mind, uh, we ask them to every guest in this segment. That way it's a kind of a cool comparison type thing. Do you want to have a little fun with us? Yeah, let's do it. All right. First thing, uh, your favorite thing about coaching, especially in Division III? Uh, just being, having the opportunity to teach and uh, guide some individuals through their life. Um, your biggest pet peeve? <laughs> when a player rolls her eyes. <laughs> wow. Uh, I like that one. I can see that driving you a little bit crazy. Um, your favorite rule or, the, or nuance of the game? Uh, favorite rule? Uh, I would say the, the, my favorite rule that they've changed in the game of basketball is going to the four quarters. Okay. Yeah, I can appreciate that. I've yeah. liked it, actually. Yeah. Um, what rule would you like to see either added, removed, or changed? Ooh, uh, fouls. <laughs> um, no, uh, Said like a true player. I would like the shot clock to go down to 24. Really? Yes. You want that fast a game? 
I do. I, well, I think it's going to improve skills. I think you can hone in on skill development a lot better uh, when they, you kind of get them fired up a little bit. And hmm. I don't like dribbling a lot. So <laughs> <laughs> I can understand that. Yeah. Uh, all right. This one, I'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of looking forward to the answer. Any pregame ritual or superstition? Uh, no, the only pregame ritual that we have is, uh, is our pregame prayer. Okay. I just thought maybe with, with, with your ADHD, you might have I, something. I've never had one. I, I was really? just anxious to get on the floor and everything else. When I played, I just got out there. All right. Uh, your craziest travel experience, either as a player or as a coach? Oh, the tra- uh, when we traveled overseas to uh, Paris when I played here at McMurray and watching our head coach completely get dismantled from clothes to bags and just thinking everything, drug dogs, you name it, they were all over him. And I, I couldn't believe it because that was the first time I'd flown. Now i got to watch my head coach just get completely uh, searched and everything. It was a 45-minute delay. Oh, my Lord. There's <laughs> a bigger story there. I don't think we yeah. got time. Uh, how would your assistants describe Describe you as a coach. This might be a giveaway, but <laughs> hey, we'll ask might, it anyway. Yeah, you might want to call them. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's funny because I got a new assistant that's in my office, and she just I, she just shakes her head. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm starting to wear off her on this ADHD because she's all over the place and everything else. So I think they energetic. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. What What do you tell a recruit that gets them excited or or want to commit to McMurray? That they're going to be a part of something more than just basketball. They're going to be a part of a family, and they're going to learn and grow, and that we're going to change their lives in four years. And I have a feeling I know the answer to this next one. When you retire, what do you hope people remember you as a coach? Uh, just as somebody that did everything that they could for him. Um, I got to retire first. I don't know if that'll ever well, happen. But certainly not <laughs> no, saying it's that, anytime soon. And he was somebody that uh, would go above and beyond to change your lives and do whatever he could for him. Awesome. Uh, great chatting with you. Really appreciate you taking the time. Fascinating story. Again, I could talk to you for a long time about it, um, but I appreciate the time you took to, to join us. Quickly, uh, not quickly, but I should say, uh, at, as we always do, we give the the, go, the guest, I can't speak today, guest, the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? Well, first of all, thank you. This has been a huge opportunity. But for those listening, whether it's a coach or player or whatever, don't ever give up. Don't ever – the battles you're going to face, the best thing you can do is find different ways to learn because you're going to have a lot of people tell you that you're this or that or try and label you, and especially in this generation. Um, just just reach deeper. Find something that you can do or learn, or, uh, and you will succeed if you just keep your mind mindset to it. Uh, reach out to individuals. Don't ever be quiet and don't do it by yourself because it, it, it makes it that much tougher. So just keep plugging along and enjoy everything that's given to you. Very very well said, Coach. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. I look forward to talking to you down the road. Thank you, sir. Derek James joining us from uh, Mac Murray, men's, uh, women's coach, men's and women's golf coach. Apparently on the graphic, I said he was coaching gold. That's new, but maybe they've got it at McMurray. But anyway, a little typo there. I want to thank him again. Amazing story. Uh, certainly worth the WBCA center court, as you can probably imagine. Uh, I want to thank those at the WBCA for the suggestion. I want to thank Derek and, of course, those at McMurray for helping us set this one up. Terrific story. It's definitely one of those I think we'll continue to follow at D3 Hoops. We certainly wish the team the best the rest of the season and, of course, moving forward as well. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll jump back into some men's basketball, but we'll stay in the central region. We'll head up to Ripon. They have ended a 72-game conference winning streak by St. Norbert. But that's not all they're doing. Yeah. Have you heard of Ty Saban? He's not too bad, a basketball player. We'll talk to his head coach coming up here on Hoopsville. You listen to Hoopsville presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this.
got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. For the love of the game, that's what it's all about, they say. But for those of us who are Division Three student-athletes, it's more than that. It's more about team and the schools and communities we represent. And for the many of us blessed with the strength to compete in sport at the college level, we understand that with what we were given comes a special obligation. An obligation to help those who have their own special needs and whose love for the game is no less intense. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. Since August of 2011, we and others from Division III campus communities have volunteered more than a quarter million hours, time away from the classroom and practice field, reaching across the country to coach and mentor Special Olympics athletes. And to learn that in giving, we receive so much more in return. Help us keep that dream alive. Be part of it. Get involved. You can make a difference. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. Join us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Incredible story there in the WBCA Center Court. Really appreciate Coach taking the time to talk to us about that. I really hope we can learn more about him. Hey, go out there and support Mac Murray. Support all Division Three schools, but go out there and support them. They may only have one win, but uh, still, that's a story. We were pre-recorded earlier today, and it's been sticking with me all day. It's, it's one that I certainly will follow up on. Of course, don't forget WBCA Center Court segment is on Sundays. The NABC Coach's Corner appears on Thursdays. If you think you've got an inspirational story or a coach who does more than just coach, does something in the community uh, or inspires in some capacity, let us know. We'll get them into one of those segments as well. Going to stay in the Central Region, switch back to men's basketball now and talk to a team that got on our radar earlier this season for varying many reasons. One, winning. Two, they've got probably one of the most prolific scorers in the country in Division Three, if not all of NCAA basketball right now. Thirdly, in the race for the Midwest Conference. Then on Wednesday, they beat St. Norbert. Well, that's going to get our attention. Ooh, then they lost to Guilford on Saturday. That one's going to sting, but it gives us some good material to talk about. Does it not? So we go to the Skype Hoopsville Hotline, presented by the City of Salem. And joining us there is the head coach of the Rippin' Men's Basketball Team, Ryan Kane. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville, sir. Hey, great to have you. Thanks. I appreciate you taking the time. I know Saturday stings. We will get to Saturday. I want to back up literally to the beginning of the season. You are 12-3 and so far. You guys got off to a roaring start, including a 105-100 win over Loris, where Ty, Ty Saban put up 50, 60-some-odd points, uh, which got, 
I think a lot of people kind of turn their heads a little bit. We knew Ty was going to be good. He's a preseason All-American. He's an All-American from last year. There's nothing hidden about that. But what happened in the Loris game and what happened to start this season? Well, I guess what happened in the Loris game was, um, you know, what's happened in, in, in previous games. I mean, you know, Ty had broken his own school record in that game. Uh, he had 53 in the Loris game, which broke his previous school record from a year ago, which was 51. So to say, you know, he had done something that we hadn't seen before would, would be a lie. So um, what he, the, the, the way that he did it was, you know, remarkable in that um, he had arguably probably one of the worst halves of basketball that he's played in the time that he's been here. Um, had, I think, about five turnovers at halftime. It only had about eight, only had eight points. And uh, I think he missed his first shot of the second half, and then he made his last 12. <laughs> and um, so, uh, you know, I think, you know, in the moment, I remember turning to my staff and, and saying, you know, I don't remember the last time he's missed. You know, I didn't know how many he had, and, and I really didn't think that he had broken the school record after the game. Um, it was just a, one of those high-tempo games where both teams, you know, were, were clicking offensively, and, and Loris has shown that they've got a great team. I think they're on a 10- or 11-game winning streak right now, and, and they're continuing to score at a high clip. So um, I don't think we knew going into that game that early in the season that both teams were going to be – you know, as good offensively as they are, you know, I think it would have been a lot more fun now down the road after, after having known what we do. <laughs> yeah, that could probably a fair argument. A little bit more interesting strategy as well. Instead of game number sure. two, game number 15. Um, you guys rolled along. Then you lost to Whitewater. Of course, one of those uh, teams that a lot of people are still trying to figure out in the Warhawks, yeah. 109-96. Rolled back into the, into the winning streaks again. Uh, got a win over Grinnell, for example. Got a win over Willamette and Pacific during the Christmas holiday out there. Uh, in the great um, northwest uh, of the country. Came home, Monmouth tripped you up, then you got back to winning, you got that St. Norbert win, and then, and then the Grinnell loss. And again, we'll get to those two games in a, in a moment. But, you know, the big key of all this has been Ty Saban. And sure. it's no surprise, as you said, and I said, everyone knew that he's your go-to guy. We know he's going to put up points. But how is it to strategize from your point of view with that? You know Ty's good, but he's not going to be great every single night. How do you keep the rest of the team involved? How do you strategize per every opponent to not to get Ty the best looks but keep the team? I mean, that seems like a complicated dynamic. Yeah, I guess it can be. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, his freshman year, he – um, really started to gain confidence as the year as the year went on. He ended up leading us in scoring in a, in a year where I wasn't sure if he would or not. I knew that when we recruited Ty, and given you know it was my first recruiting class, and there was a bit of transition with the program that um, we were going to need to bring someone who was going to have to shoulder some scoring load. We had some guys in the program um, that you know could do that, but we knew we needed a score. And uh, he established himself that as freshman year, and immediately I knew that we had potentially something special here. And I, you know, began to start asking around to people that I know who had, had you know, coached prolific scorers and, and the guy um, whose name's on the floor here at Ripon College, you know, coached several of them, including his kid, who's, you know, the all-time leading scorer here that Ty just broke his record. And so, you know, it was one of those things where he kind of had to just let the kid play and, and let him do his natural instincts. And I've always talked about that as a coach, that offensively, I, I want you to, you know, play to your strengths and, and, and use your instincts that, you know, uh, play with a level of freedom on the basketball floor. And, um, you know, that's what we gave Ty. I think night in and night out, you know, he he really does a good job of getting things within the flow of how we play. Um, and to say that the other guys, you know, don't get involved, 
Um, you know, I think maybe his sophomore year, it was a year where, you know, uh, he was learning how to um, get others involved. And I think he's progressively gotten better in that way. And it's, uh, I think it's, it's really helping us this year. You know, I, you know, people see his scoring, but yet that's really the way that he helps us win games. And, and, and he's put the work in, right? So the other guys in the team all recognize that, you know, he's earned the right to take some of the shots he's taken because, you know, his production level is where it's at and he's in the gym more than anybody else. So, um, you know, when your best player is your hardest worker, it, it usually works out for um, the other guys in the team. 30 points a game for the man, just a shade under, I should point out. Six uh, points a game, shoots 55% from the floor, 44% from beyond the arc, an 83% free throw shooter. Uh, hands out, uh, well over two assists a game. Uh, he may have three and, a, three and a half turnovers a game, but he does have the ball a lot in his hands. He's also got more than a, a steal and a half per game. Of course, he's also joined by Brendan Figures category, 12 and a half points a game, three rebounds a game. He shoots 56% as well, uh, 59% from beyond the arc, and nearly perfect from the line at 27 of 28. And Isaac Masters and Carl Schultz both have eight points a game as well. Uh, and Masters is, is, the, is the top assist guy, uh, the three top guys more than a, uh, two assists a game. So clearly Ty's not the only story. He's getting all the headlines, obviously. He's getting all the attention of opponents, but you clearly have other players involved. Um, is Ty the kind of player, and I'm trying to find a gentle way of asking because I don't think there's an easy way of saying this without being, <laughs> I hope I'm not taking but is he kind of the player that understands maybe is he the early Michael Jordan or the late Michael Jordan? In the sense that the later Michael Jordan finally figured out, I do have teammates, and if I get them involved, we're better. Versus the younger Jordan who's like, oh, it's all about me. I, I got to go out there and score. Has Ty figured out how to get his entire team involved? I mean, stats says he, he does, but I don't get to see him firsthand to understand the true dynamic. Yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting analogy. I guess I've never had anybody put it that way, Dave. But, you know, I, I would think the way you had it, the way you posed it to me, you know, I think, you know, um, it, it has happened in the four years. I think the first couple of years, um, you know, it was a little bit more about scoring. But let me make something very clear. It, it's never been about Ty. It's never sure. he's, it's never been about himself. It's never been about how much he's scoring. He's never been a guy who's who cares about the scoring. He's always scared, always cared about the win column. Um, the best way to help us win is, is to score. That's what he knows how to do the best. You know, I've, you know, gradually through the course of his career, tried to help him understand that he needs to be a better rebounder. Mm -hmm. And this year he's been a tremendous rebounder. And it really has ignited our transition offense by his ability to rebound defensively. And, you know, I've each year really worked on him to build trust in his teammates. And I think this year, you know, the assists maybe don't show it, but you know, we don't track hockey assists and, and, and things like that. We don't attract, you know, you can watch, you know, some of the best players in the world play and, and just their presence on the floor allows other players to get shots. And I think a lot of that is what Ty's seeing this year. And, um, you know, the theme going into the game against St. Norbert on, on this past Wednesday was that we are a good team. You know, that when we take the floor, we do have the best player in the gym. No question. Um, but that we also are more than him and that there are other guys in this team that make big plays. And, um, and when other guys do pitch and make big plays, um, it, it's, we're hard to beat then, right? Because Ty's going to be able to do his thing. And, and you made the comment earlier about how, you know, he, he can't do it every night. And, uh, and honestly, it's remarkable. I, I'd argue that he has. I, I, there's been very few nights where 
he hasn't produced for us. Um, and, uh, I, you know, it's been one of the things that I find most remarkable about Ty is his, his durability and the fact that, you know, he brings it every night. And when I say every night, I mean every practice, every night. He's just got it, you know. Um, the good news for opponents, the bad news for you and Richard is he's a senior, <laughs> uh, along with three other guys. Has there been a, a sense this season that this was the season you guys had to take advantage of, that this was, for the lack of a better description, the last rodeo? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in some respects, this is, you know, this class that's graduating is our first recruiting class here, right? So in a sense, you know, we've been building the culture through them. They've been, you know, great stewards of that culture and, and taking great accountability and, and owning the program and, and teaching the younger kids that we brought in. But, you know, really, we haven't had a had a very young team because of that. You know, mm-hmm. this class has been playing since they were freshmen. And there's been, you know, a, a couple seniors each year, you know, and um, this is the first time we've had really an upperclassman team. You know, we've, the, the half our team is juniors and seniors. Right. So that's typically when you start to you know, see some of the of your labor. And um, and so I don't think that, you know, it's the last rodeo per se. I think we all realize that this is the year that we can capitalize on it. But I think this is only the start of great things to come. Um. Let's go back to that, um, the last two games. Uh, obviously, a huge win over St. Norbert, 81-55. I can't remember the last time St. Norbert got held to 55 points. Uh, I know that they can certainly defensively uh, slow teams down, but to have them be held to only 18 in the first half, uh, you guys led 34-18 and then beat them 81-55 is just staggering they shot 14 percent from beyond the arc you guys shot 42 percent from beyond the arc but that certainly wasn't the telltale sign of the game you guys took about equal amount of shots and you hit 12 more what was the game plan going in i mean that's st norbert's first loss in four years in conference action what was the game going in and is that what worked or did you guys have to shift to something else when kind of the game presented itself um, you know, I don't think the game plan has changed a ton. You know, I, it was more about like, let's just be who we are. Like, I feel like, you know, we're both, you know, very good offensive teams. They're certainly, you know, play a much uh, slower pace than we do, you know. Um, but um, we knew that um, we were just as good as they were defensively. The numbers say that. Yeah. We've been building ourselves towards being as good a defensive team. We know that, you know, you don't win at the, at the highest level at any level of basketball, really unless you defend. And so that's been a something we've been talking about, you know, throughout the last, you know, well, since I started here. Right. So, um, you know, that, that kind of came to a head in some ways in this game, but, um, you know, in the past, you know, a lot of, a lot of coaches say it's not about the X's and the O's. It's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's, right. <laughs> sometimes we haven't had the Jimmy's and the Joe's compete against those guys. And, and I think, you know, over the course of four years, our ability to continue to keep recruiting and, and bringing in high quality talent, you know, I felt like we, we finally kind of matched up with them, you know, from a personnel standpoint, you know, I think we're deep enough. And, um, you know, I, I think it was just a, a matter of time. You're a Saint, um, and I realize that asking this question never gets the answer everybody looks for because I think it's too complicated or it's too easy, uh, depending on the, but you, do you have a, a torn 
a reaction to that? I mean, it's your team. You finally got the win, but it's over your team and, and the program that you're most familiar with. Yeah, no, there isn't really any, um, you know, I'm a Red Hawk. Um, you know, the, my, my time as a Green Knight is, is long gone. And, um, you know, to be honest, you know, I think it'd probably be a different emotional connection had I played for Gary. But, you know, Gary's the, you know, the coach that came after, you know, who I played for. And I'm still obviously very close to my teammates that I played with back then. But a lot of them were at this game and uh, and cheering for, for the Red Hawks. And so, um, you know, my uh, my allegiance is firmly planted with the Red Hawks. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, that's why sometimes the answer I know is not nearly as fun and exciting as we all <laughs> hope it would be. Um, right. You then moved on to play Grinnell. And to, to describe it in this manner, but was this the prototypical trap game in the in the reverse? The one that you had the big game on Wednesday, you got the big win, and then oh, we have to play Saturday, and of course you're gonna go up against a completely different team, which is a whole nother part of this equation, and we'll get to that. But right. is this that prototypical trap game, or was this just a matter that Grinnell got you? You know, I, I think it was the latter, to be honest. I mean, I think the only trap was that we just had to play on the road in a yeah. difficult environment where, you know, they're undefeated at home. They're hard to win. It's hard to beat them there. Um, you know, I think it, it, I think this is the way the schedule fell. I think the fact that we had to get on a bus and sure. drive six hours to Grinnell, Iowa, and, and play a completely different style in two days after we played. So, you know, I... I think I have a veteran enough team um, that they that they understood. I mean, we talked about it immediately after the St. Norbert game, that it was just a win, just as well as it could have been just a loss. And that, you know, none of it matters, you know, that, you know, we've got to continue to, you know, lock our sights in on, on Grinnell. And, um, you know, we just didn't play well enough, you know, and, and, and you got to you got to take care of the ball down there against those guys. And, and uh, we didn't do a good job of that. And, and when you don't against them, they'll make you pay. That's the tough part. You have to play a team that is completely different. You guys in the Midwest Conference have to do it twice a year where you have to adjust to, to the system and you have to realize that you're going to get easy shots inside. They don't necessarily want you to take threes. They'd rather have you take layups. They're going to give you those. Then they're going to come roaring down the court up shots. They're going to grab rebounds and instead of putting them back up, put them back outside and shoot. The fact you have to do it twice a year. I, I have enough coaches who say to me, geez, just playing them once is tough. Then it takes us three games sometimes to get out of sync from that. You have to do it twice. How how much of an impact does it truly have on your season? Uh, you know, it's it's. I'll say this. It has more of an impact when you have a younger team. You know, okay. They, if they haven't seen it and they haven't gone yeah. through it, you know, it. you just you can't replicate it. You know, I mean, I remember as a player, you know, being on scout team, and thinking this is the most fun I've ever had, just <laughs> chucking up threes and you know it was and playing no D, it was great, right? Yeah. And, and I think you know you, you you just can't replicate it until you're there. And um, and so, you know, we, we had won three of our last games, you know, three past games before Saturday against them. We'd kind of had a little bit of a recipe going. I think the guys kind of understood, you know, what it took to beat them. Um, and uh, you know, we just we had a few few too many uh, missteps in our. <laughs> And our formula, if you will, on Saturday that that cost us. But um, you know, I I don't really know how much of an impact it has. I mean, it, it it definitely throws you for a loop. There's no doubt about that. You know, when I played in the league, weekend doubleheaders, and that was yeah. a difficult thing. You know, you'd have to play Friday night against either them or somebody else, and then 
Saturday against them. So you'd play Friday night against, say, Monmouth, and then have to turn around and play them the next afternoon. And uh, or you played them on Friday night and are completely gassed and have yeah. to play Saturday afternoon. So um, I think that then, you know, having to play them, you know, at least you get a couple of days to prepare and rest the body up before you play them. So um, interesting question about Ty, though, going back to him a little bit. I'm actually surprised with his numbers in these Grinnell games. I think the first time you guys played each other, I know we were watching and at one point he only had two points late in the game. He ended up finishing. 16. He had 25 in this last one. This last game, he was uh, uh, eight for 13 in the game, four for six from deep. I would think with how much of a, of a of a prowess he has to get into the basket and putting up shots, that he would have field days in this game. Or is that a different strategy? Is that a strategy maybe that you guys are taking into these games different? Well, I don't think it's a strategy we're taking into the game to be different. I think the strategy is just this: like you know, you have to. They completely dictate how you play. You know, it's it's really difficult to try to run any semblance of anything that you would normally want to do. So, you know, what we talk about is, you know, you you've got to pass to the open guy. You, you've got to kind of finish the plays that they have. Um, and if it happens to be tie, it happens to be tie. Um, and a lot of times it's not. And um, you know, that's uh, it. You know, it, it it's it's definitely it's definitely a team you know type of atmosphere game where you know there there is no. There is no set plan for how you can go about trying to get a certain guy certain shots. You can't call a set play against him to try to get Ty a shot in a certain spot. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and it goes back to who he is. I mean, he, he can't just dribble through everybody and try to score. Yep. Um, you know, it, it, and they do a good job. You know, they, um, they can you know, follow him all over the place and make sure he doesn't touch the ball. And, and, and that's, that's hard, you know, to, to – so they're actually making an effort in that game defensively to keep him from from getting too many points. So that's a little bit of a different strategy on their part then. Yeah, yeah, they've uh, they've done that in the past with other um, teams in our league, that, you know, high scores, um, and uh, it's been successful on it, and it hasn't been successful at times. You know, it, it's you know, it's uh, it's uh, it's a crapshoot really. Sure. Um, let's talk about the rest of the way. You got eight games left. Three of them are going to be at home. Five of them on the road, including the the finishing stretch of three uh, on the road. Um, you're coming up, and then Illinois College. Um, mm-hmm. You'll have Saint Norbert on the back end of that at their place. Obviously, they have circled that date. Um, what's the message to the team? That's kind of a popular question that I've asked. What's the message? What's the goal? What's the expectation? Yeah, I think the message to the team right now is you know less about the finish line and. and- you know, the present and, and just, you know, getting back to, you know, playing like underdogs, you know, um, you know, this is, this is what we've, you know, been working towards since, you know, we got on campus here four years ago is to be playing in games like this, to be competing for a conference championship. You know, we've been fortunate enough each of the years I've been here to be able to make our four team conference tournament. And so we've always been competing for that spot, but we haven't necessarily really had a, a spot to compete for a conference regular season championship and hosting the conference tournament. And we're in that spot now. And there, I think there's a bit of a learning curve that comes with that, you know? And, um, yeah, I think we've learned probably the hard way. And that's kind of what I told the guys afterwards, you know, you've got to just appreciate the journey, embrace the, embrace the grind, if you will. And, um, you know, really just focus on, you know, each game and, and not the finish line right now. Um, this conference race certainly now looks interesting. You're a game back, obviously with a win against them right now. So that's a, a, a 
a feather in your cap, so we can even say that's a half a game back instead of a full game. Lake mm-hmm. Forest and Lawrenceville lurking at seven and three with Grinnell at six and four. This race certainly looks more interesting. I think now everybody thinks they can beat St. Norbert thanks to your win. Sense that the you know the the rust is now or not rust, but the 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 shine is a little bit duller maybe on the Green Knights uh, for everybody else. How do you see this finishing out? Can you guys? overtake St. Norbert and get first place and maybe dictate this conference for a change? Um, you know, I, I don't know how it's going to shake out. You know, I, I wish I wish I knew. Had, had I known that, I wouldn't have watched the Packers play today against the Falcons. And, <laughs> you know, if I had a crystal ball, I would have saved myself the, the, the pain. But um, I, I just don't know how it's going to turn out. You know, I, what I love about our league, which, you know, I think is pretty unique across the national landscape. You, you Dave, probably know better than I, but one of the few that has so many teams with only four getting in I, I particularly love it I think it's a great um, it, it's a great representation of of you know who your league champion is this is just to get the four but it's hard to get in there into those four um, and um, you know it's even harder you know certainly the last few years to um, to get that top spot I joke all the time that you know I, I booked the hotel right after we leave the conference tournament in De Pere because we'll probably be back there again next year. Um, but uh, you know what I like to not have to book a hotel this year and and, and sleep in my own home that, that would be great. Um, you know we certainly put ourselves in a position to do that. So you know we've just got to do our job on our end. What happens? Um, well, I certainly appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Uh, your team has certainly been one of those that has fascinated me. Uh, all season long, and and I'm glad to get a chance to talk to you. And and we're, I think, in some ways, we're going to miss uh, when Ty leaves um, and departs the program eventually because he's been fun to watch. Uh, we hopefully can see him make a nice run here the rest of the season and see a little bit more of Ty playing, and maybe we'll get to see him at the NABC All Star Game. At worst, you never know. Maybe maybe the Red Hawks are there in Salem, but at <laughs> worst. We get to see him in the All-Star game. Uh, as always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with those who may be tuning in? Well, I'd just say this. You know, it's a pleasure to talk to you, too, Dave. You know, uh, four years ago when, when uh, we came into this program, it, it's a proud, tradition-rich basketball program. You know, winning this program in our conference is history. And, you know, I think I'm only the third coach in 60 years here. And, you know, I really had a, uh, you know, a vision and a hope that we could be a little bit on the national landscape, you know, have, you know, people talking about ripping college basketball. And, um, you know, I, I appreciate uh, you having me on and, and, and having us uh, in that conversation. And uh, I hope that we can continue to be in the conversation. And uh, thanks for all that you do for, for D3 Hoops and, and just small college basketball in general. Thank you, Coach. Appreciate you coming on. Certainly makes it easier. Thanks for the Skype, too. It's great to see yeah. our coaches when we get the <laughs> opportunity. Um, good luck the rest of the way. As I said, we look forward to hopefully seeing more ripping basketball, uh, and we'll look forward to seeing how this conference race shakes out. All right. Thanks, Dave. Ryan Kane joining us again on the City of Salem Hoopsville Skype hotline. Not to say, but we got it through. Uh, really fun to watch this team. Again, they got Beloit coming up uh, at home and Illinois College. Should be fun to watch. We're going to take another break. When we come back, we'll talk to Guilford men's basketball. Find out what's going on in the ODAC in the South region. You're listening to Hoopsville presented by D3Hoops.com for the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I play because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built. 
the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. We've got more schools than Division I than Division II and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Division Three basketball like we do. We're at d3hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. I used to never really talk. Ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to f And now everyone else is speechless. This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk. Playing for simply the love where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports. We've got more schools than division more fans than Division II, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're d3hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. We are calling you, all of you. We are calling all Division III schools to join our cause. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division III. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, uh, from the WBCA NABC studios. Hope you're enjoying the show. We're well into overtime, as you can imagine. Here's how the rest of the show is going to work out. we got one more guest. We're not going to take a break after that guest. We're going to get right back into our next segment with the Hoopsville mailbag. Uh, if you got questions, it's a little late to get them in for this show, but please save them for the rest uh, for the, uh, the next show. 
or send them to us right now so we can get them on to the next show. Again, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com to be part of the Hoopsville mailbag segment. Uh, we'll also finish up with a couple of notes and mention some things that took place at the NCAA convention that it relates to basketball as well. So we've been talking Central Region. Now we'll jump into the South and go all the way down into North Carolina. Talk about the Old Dominion Athletic Conference with a team that has quietly been at the top of the conference for most of the season. Certainly playing well, kind of reminds us of yesteryear with the Guilford Quakers. They uh, uh, cannot be ignored, though they had a rough loss this weekend as well. Seems to be the story of Division Three this year. 14-3 overall, now 7-1 in college, which puts them in second behind Randolph-Macon. We'll talk all about that with our next coach. The head coach of Guilford, Tom Palumbo, joins us on the Hoopsville Hotline, sponsored by the City of Salem. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville, sir. Thanks, Dave. I hope you're doing well. And I know you're... I know you're talking to me, but I, I, you know, when we switch devices, sometimes I forget to switch the device myself. So we'll try that one more time. <laughs> All uh, right. Coach, it, again, 14 and three overall, seven one in conference. You've got to be thrilled on the paper of that. I know you would like to get at least one of those games back, but you got to be thrilled with how the season has progressed so far. Like we're getting better. You know, we, we play a lot of first and second year guys. Uh, and playing in our league is is really difficult, depending on whether it's home or, or especially certainly on the road. But I think we're making progress. We had a little setback yesterday. Hamden Sydney came in and uh, you know they played a great game. And, and Jake Duncan, you know, is really really the ball really well. And we, we weren't on top of our game for for whatever reason. They had a lot to do with that. But you're going to have those games in our league, and uh, you know it's uh, there's a long way to go. We're only halfway through the league season, so the second half there's, there's a lot of things that can happen. Uh, that's the thing. I mean, what's interesting about this is, first off, to remind anybody who's new to this, the Old Dominion Athletic Conference plays an unbalanced schedule. You play double round robin versus a majority of the teams, and you play single games against the rest. You do not play a true true double round robin, which is good for many reasons. Um, so you played Hampton Sydney, interestingly enough, at the beginning of the year, and you got the first victory there for Guilford since 2009. They almost returned the first on Saturday. What was the difference in the two games, though? Uh, you know, offensively, we we were we weren't very good yesterday. I mean, it's you know we've not to get off track. We've had a couple games this year. I'll get some stats for you that, uh, that you may not uh, may not have happened in very many college games. You know, we played Greensboro yeah. College, and we ended up with more rebounds than we won the game. We had seventy <laughs> rebounds and only sixty-two points, and we won the game. So I'm not sure that's happened very often. No. And then yesterday, yesterday we had twenty-seven more shot attempts than Hamden Sydney, and the free throws were even, and we lost that game. So. That doesn't happen often in a basketball game either, where you can get 27 more shots, the free throws are even, and you lose. So, it's been two uh, two kind of uh, crazy crazy games we've been a part of this year. I, you know, I can't put my finger on it. We missed a lot of shots in the paint. We missed a lot of shots around the basket. Uh, Jake Duncan had a, had a great game. I think he had a career high 29. Shot the ball really well from the three point line. Um, you know, I think that and they out rebounded us. First time we've been out rebounded all year long. You know, like plus 12 on. Uh, on rebounding for the season is kind of something we pride ourselves on. We got beat pretty bad. Well, we got beat by two, but that's bad for us. <laughs> uh, and then Sydney is seven and ten now, three and five in the conference. They haven't really been um, at a level that their history has ever dictated. Uh, it's been a bit of a struggle. Game that you guys let get away um, that you should have won, or is this one of those prototypical ODAC games where anything's possible? Just tip the darn ball up and let's see what happens. Yeah, I think it's the latter. You know, they came out. We were down like 15. I think we were down like 22 to seven. We were, we were getting beat pretty bad. We ended up taking the lead with about 
I don't know, maybe four or five minutes to go, and then it was kind of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They had a kid make a big three uh, when they were up one to go up four with uh, about a minute to go. They kind of they kind of put it in their favor, but it was a it was a typical Saturday afternoon <laughs> knockdown drag out uh, in the ODAC. That's for sure. Uh, obviously, it has an impact on the ODAC race with Randolph Macon at the top, undefeated. Both of you in conference action. Now you're a game behind uh, Randolph Macon, and you've got a tough stretch up ahead. You've got Lynchburg. Uh, on the road coming up this week, and you're going to be home against Virginia Wesley and two teams that have, obviously, Virginia Wesley has always been at the top of the ODAC for the last five, six, maybe ten, and Lynchburg has emerged in the mix, though they're having a bit of an off season. Uh, then you got Randolph and Washington Lee after that before Roanoke, Randolph making this thing gets, you know, kind of goes up and down in terms of the top versus the bottom of the conference. How do you forget what happened Saturday and get ready for Lynchburg um, this week and Virginia Wesleyan? Yeah, you know, Lynchburg is uh, the defending league champions, and, uh, you know, they've got a few new guys in the mix this year that are really talented, and they're starting to, uh, you know, they played at Randolph-Macon and uh, just got done watching uh, all of that game, and that was a that was a really good college basketball game. You know, Macon prevailed at the end by two, but, you know, Zach Burnett's one of the in the country. He's just putting up ridiculous numbers. He's really hard to guard one-on-one, and they've got they've got a lot more weapons than just him. Uh, they got a lot of pieces to go around uh to go around that so you know i don't think we uh i don't think you look past anything in our league and you know i know people talk about the top and the bottom but to be honest with you you know the, there's not much to the bottom. i mean everybody is uh yeah. everybody is it's pretty good you know teams have to you know somebody's gonna win somebody's gonna lose and somebody might have a very good record but you know <laughs> i think uh you don't you don't look past uh you don't look past anybody in our league that's for sure no matter where the game's at you know we, uh, i think we're a testament to that on saturday yeah. no matter what Kansas city's record was they came in and uh really talented team and, and, and played well. Most of your games, you tend to score in the seventies, you allow in the sixties, but you've had a couple games um, uh, that jump out of me. Eastern Mennonite, 94, 88, North Carolina, Wesley, 90 to 62. You guys can kind of put your foot down on the offensive end. If you need to, or can, what's the secret against them? Uh, you know, I think maybe those games were a little atypical. We're more of a grind. We, we grind it out. You know, we try to uh, play really good defense and rebound. And, and we have some guys certainly who can score. And when we're on top of our game, uh, you know, we can score some points. I think we've had, you know, we've had a couple of games where, we, where we've done that. But, our, you know, our major focus on, on, you know, trying to defend, trying to trying to rebound because we feel like those two things are, are the most important things. And we're not going to be good at everything. And, you know, we're, we're not a great we're not a great offensive team, but we do have some guys who can, uh, when we need to get a basket, get one for us. And I think every team, uh, every team needs to have that, especially in the last couple of minutes of the game. Defensively allowing 66 points a game. Is that where you want it to be, or do you guys want to be even tighter on defense? Uh, you know, we're more about field, field goal percentage defense than uh, points. Uh, you know, we try to make it really tough for the other team. I think at one time, well, up until yesterday, I think we were, I think we were like top five in the country in field goal percentage defense. Came in and and you know shot fifty. The first team to shoot, I think, over forty against us, or, or nobody shot fifty, and they were the first ones to do that yesterday. And uh, you know they made some tough shots, and they got some open ones too. And they're really big inside, and they and they hurt us a couple of times on some duck ins inside late in the game. And uh, but we're more, you know, we we more focused, take tough shots, and and trying to dominate on the on the glass. The conference schedule is a grind lack of a better description flat out it is it is going to work you guys how do you keep this team fresh how do you keep them focused especially this time of the year i mean this is the toughest part maybe that hampton sydney game is an example of that because at this point 
the motions to some degree as you're grinding out game after game in conference and seeing opponents you know pretty well and you might know them too well almost. It certainly is a grind, and I think, uh, you know, we talked to our guys about that. You have to kind of fight the, you know, it's, it's tough. Wednesday to Saturday, and, and normally one of those, if not both, and you very rarely get the two at home, and it's really it's really tough to, to stay focused in on the, the little things that are important, and when you, you know, when you get sloppy in one area, it can uh, it can come back to bite you. And, you know, we had a we had a tough road game on Wednesday night at, uh, at uh, Emory and Henry, and and you're back in that routine of your, what you do on Thursday and what you do on Friday, and you really have to stay focused on the little details of, of your preparation. And, you know, I think sometimes those things can become, uh, you know, a routine and you lose the, the focus that's necessary. And I hope you don't lose a game because of it, but, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you, we, I think we've learned a lot of lessons winning this year, and, and certainly hopefully we lo- learned some lessons in our in our loss on Saturday as well. <laughs> yes, many coaches <laughs> would say you hope you've lost, remembered that and, and learned your lesson. You do have Lynchburg ahead of you. What do you expect from, from uh, Lynchburg this coming week? Uh, really, really aggressive offensively. Like I said, you know, Zach Burnett, uh, you know, one of the top players in the country with the numbers he's put up. And like I said, he's got a lot of pieces around him. That's not yeah. just him. They can really score baskets and defensively. They're aggressive. You know, they'll, they'll switch a lot of screens. They'll switch defenses. You know, Hillary does a good job. They go from zone to man, put a little one through one. So they do stuff, try to keep you, try to keep you off balance. So it'll be a, you know, it'll be a, it'll be a tough, uh, it'll be certainly a tough, tough game. It'll be on the road. And, uh, you know, we just have to, you have to be on top of your game or you're, or you're certainly not going to be successful in this league. That's for sure. You've been there around the league now in your 14th season. You certainly know it from back. You graduated from Virginia Wesleyan. Obviously, in the last 10 or some odd years, ODAC has been considered one of the top five conferences in the country. We've had Virginia Wesleyan, Randolph Macon, yourselves, and others who've represented the conference well, made some deep runs the NCAA tournament. We're not that far removed from the Virginia Wesleyan Randolph Macon Elite Eight game a few years back. But in the last couple of years, like the top has kind of come back a little bit to the middle. And we know that the conference is tough, no matter when the good, the top was really good or, or, or just good. But what has changed? Why is the conference's top maybe not as good? We don't have anybody ranked in the top 25. Um, why is the top maybe not as good nationally as it has been? And why have we only seen a few runs deep in the NCAA tournament versus what seem to be routine runs from two or three teams a year? Yeah, that's a great question. Some of the coaches we've been talking about before games and, and things like that. I think it's it, it it's more, you know, the the bottom and the middle has certainly come up that way. There's no to me. There's really no more bottom. And it's all yeah. middle. And then and then who you know who kind of comes through at the end. I don't know. You know, it, it's 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 hard to compare in the past. You know, for us and you know, I mean, we used to start a six eleven center who ended up being a national player of the year, along with a six ten power forward who ended up being the national year and they were on the same team so you know we had a couple all-american guards going with them yeah so we were uh not you too know, bad it, no no not too bad and you know virginia wesleyan with you know brandon adair was special and tauntaun belenga and you know those guys were just you know those guys were just ridiculous so i think just having <laughs> having two or three of those pieces on your team to go along with with a lot of the guys that are maybe in the league now, you know, those types of players, I think going with those, those kind of guys make it, make you be able to be able to make a run in the NCAA tournament. It's kind of like I said, you know, having a guy like, uh, like a Zach Burnett who can, who can get you that basket the last two, three minutes 
very consistently. Well, when you got two or three guys like that, you know, you're going to be able to make a run in the tournament because all those games, for the most part, are going to be close, and it's going to who, who's going to be executing down the stretch because there's nobody there's nobody bad when you get into the in-state tournament. Yeah. Um, you talk about All-Americans. Uh, I saw the great piece kind of commemorating back, talking about um, uh, Snipes, incredible uh, heave, 90-foot heave <laughs> to, to win it in overtime yeah. against Randolph-Macon. And I remember, though, uh, his incredible heave from just over midcourt to tie the game against Lincoln in the Sweet 16 right. that produced yeah. uh, a three-overtime thriller where Ben Strong put up 59. I'm certainly not going to have you compare them. That's not fair. But – you know, there's been some incredible basketball in the 14 years that you've been at Guilford. And a lot of these guys have gone on to even do some coaching. Kimbrough's now coaching in the South. Um, I think he's got Ben Strong as maybe his assistant, I read. And, you know, you uh, Tyler Sanborn is now the – where is he assistant? He's uh, assistant at Hamden Sydney. At Hamden Sydney, you beat you. That's yeah. right. Um, so, obviously, the coaching tree from you has grown. We've had some great players at Guilford under your under your time there how what's it been like in the 14 years at Guilford uh it's been a lot of fun seeing you know seeing seeing Tyler Saturday even though he's on the, he's on <laughs> yeah. the other side you know yeah. we stay in touch obviously and uh you know you mentioned Caleb and Ben I'm really happy for them and you know Rhett Bonner who who played yeah. for us is at Rice now with Rhodes uh Mike Rhodes he used to coach at Randolph Macon and yeah. You know, Pete Hamilton uh, coached for us for a year, and he's the head coach now at, at Randolph. And, and Claude Shields coached for us for a year, and he's the head coach at Peace. So I, I really get a kick out of seeing those guys do well and, and seeing them kind of doing their own thing and having success and just feeling like maybe I had a little small part in, uh, in, in helping those guys out. But really, really excited for those guys to see them do well and, and, and flourish as head coach and see where their career goes with them. You served as the athletic director at Guilford since 2007 as well. So, you know, you love to keep yourself busy. Um, <laughs> curious, though, how tough is it, especially now? I would argue maybe in 2007 it wasn't as difficult. It certainly wasn't as difficult in the 90s. That was certainly the popular rage to have ADs be coaches. But how difficult is it now? I mean, the convention just took place. I know you probably weren't there. Yeah, my boss went. Uh, it's it's tough. It's tough to be the AD during basketball season. You know, the two the the months from October to well, what used to be the middle of March, and yeah. now is in the end of February for us for the last <laughs> few years. But hopefully, uh, to the middle of March is really uh, it's really difficult. I, I've been fortunate to have you know great assistants and and Caleb Kimbrough and and you know guys like Claude and Pete, and now we have Ronnie Thomas who played in the ODAC at Bridgewater and Mark Slade who played. Uh, in the USA South and Methodist, you know, those guys carry the load for me recruiting wise. And then we have a great coaching staff at Guilford and, and, you know, they, 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 they understand what they're doing. We try to, you know, we try to let them do their job. I'm there to help them, but I'm not there to look over them every day. And, and they understand that and they do a great job with their programs. And, and I, I don't know that I could do it without that, especially with a great football coach. And, you know, sometimes football needs their own, uh, needs their own athletic director. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of people would have, but you know we're in a fortunate situation that uh, that I feel like we have a great staff. Yeah, you had and had a great program at, at the college as a whole. Uh, back to the task at hand, and as we mentioned, Lynchburg, then Virginia Wesleyan, then Randolph. Yeah, a nicely balanced schedule for anybody at the ODAC office who's listening. It's a very nicely balanced <laughs> schedule um, where you guys will basically uh, it's an even mix. You'll play four at home and four on the road, I think, or maybe five, but it's pretty even. Um, I have asked this of almost every coach, and I start to ask this at this time of year because I'm curious. 
What's the message to the team? What are you telling them at this point? The grind has been strong. It's tough to kind of take the blinders off a little bit, but you, there, there's still a lot of work to do. How, what, what's the message at, at this point in January? Yeah, I mean, the message for, for our guys is, is pretty pretty similar to what other people do, but it's been the same for, for every game. And we, we do a lot of preparation for our opponents, and we watch a lot of film, we do all these things in practice. But in the end, you know, we talk about how it always comes down to us and what we need to do, and we, we can control the game, and we control what happens. And, and the way we want to go out our, go about our most important thing and not to get distracted, you know, a lot of distractions, uh, it can be distractions from the crowd, from, you know, from, from anything on the, on the trip, you know, we had to, you know, our game going to Emory and Henry got delayed like an hour and a half because the team before us, the women's bus broke down and so oh. our game started later and just not let that be something that you know, it's just, it's something that can get in the way if you let it, but you have to be, you have to be tougher than that. You can't, you can't let the distractions, uh, you know, get you out of what you're trying to do and what you're trying to do as a team. And we're trying to become closer as a team. I think that's the, the big thing that we've been trying to do is to just pull together when you're always going to have adversity, you're always going to have issues to pull together, not pull apart. And it's an ongoing process. I think, you know, it's just, no one's perfect and no one can do it all the time. And I think we work at it every day. We talk about it every day. And, you know, when things go bad, you, you know, you're, the good teams come together and they come together on the floor and they come together on the sideline, the locker room. Maybe the teams that don't do so well. Um, Randolph Macon's leading the way right now. Some would argue maybe they're a year ahead of themselves a little bit. This wasn't supposed to be a twelve and five type of season necessarily. Eight and zero in conference play. Um, I forgot to check if you you do not have them on. Oh, you do on the on February at home. Obviously, that'll be a big game, but can you overtake them? Can you dictate that you guys maybe get the easier road? Granted, a lot of this goes to the Civic Center anyway, but that you guys can maybe control your own destiny a little bit with a conference regular season title? Oh, gosh, man. We don't even – it's so much longer to go. I mean, there's half the season to go. To me, was, it isn't. If there, was two, <laughs> if there was two weeks – if there was two games to go, I'd talk about controlling our own destiny or something like that, or maybe sure. just one in our league, but – with eight to go, I mean, obviously Randolph Macon. I just got, actually just got done watching uh, watching them against Lynchburg. They're really good defensively, yeah. you know, really solid. We play defense a lot. I like to think a lot like like physical and they're tough and and they can score. They got some guys who can who can certainly score. But man, just not even nothing against them. Just not even thinking about them. And they're, they're, <laughs> we haven't even really looked at any of that. Every our, our we try to flip the switch from. We tried to flip it from Emory and Henry on Wednesday, immediately Wednesday night to Hamden Sydney, and then as soon as we lost uh, last night, we had flipped the switch and started getting ready for uh, Lynchburg. And I think if you try to do it any other way, that's a you can maybe be successful that way, but I think that's a dangerous way to do it in our league. There's just no no way you better look past anybody or start thinking about anything down the road or NCAA tournament or so much longer to go. None of that stuff matters get down to the last couple of games. That's just my opinion, but that, that's the way that's kind of, kind of the way we go about it. I can certainly appreciate that coach, but uh, us media guys, we always got to try anyway. <laughs> uh, we got to see if we can get lucky. Uh, well, coach, I appreciate you taking the time, especially away from the videos to, to, to give us a chance to, to talk and, and get it, get caught back up with the again. It's fun to see you guys in the mix at the top of the conference as always. And uh, despite the loss, we know this is going to be a fun run to the end of the ODAC conference. Uh, as always, give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who are tuning in? Yeah, I appreciate what uh, what you do for Division Three basketball and going the extra mile. And I also think uh, I think the snipes 
against Lincoln was a bigger shot than the uh, than the 94 footer against Randolph Macon. Because to hit that shot oh. under those circumstances was yeah. uh, that was just a ridiculous uh, a ridiculous play for us. And oh. uh, we were talking about that the other day. Actually, it got brought up. And Jordan was at the game Saturday. Too, oh, great! So. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm with you, but I'm biased. I was calling. So that's what I remember. That's right. That's yeah. right. That was uh, that was crazy. Atmosphere. Was. That was a crazy atmosphere. It was. We uh, hope to get back to that uh, someday soon. <laughs> that would be fun to see. Maybe not the shot. Maybe let's do it with less stress. But um, it would be fun. But uh, well, hey, good luck the rest of the way, Coach. Great to chat with you. I look forward to seeing you as well. Take care, and we'll talk soon. Hey, that sounds good. Thanks, Dave. How's yeah, it going? No problem. Take care. Tom Palumbo joining us on the City of Salem Hotline. Again, the City of Salem host of the Division Three Men's Championship Weekend for the 21st season. They'll be handing out their 20th national title in Division Three Men's Basketball coming up. Thank you to Coach Palumbo once again. from. Again, we're not taking a break here. We're going to keep going to wrap this up in, on a show that went much longer than anticipated. Um, and we want to go to our mailbag segment. Again, a reminder, you can always email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. That's hoopsville at d3hoops.com. Um, I'm going to warn you now that one of these questions coming up, I don't have a great answer to save it, um, but we're at least acknowledged that we got the question. Um, but again, if you are listening to the podcast, um, which means on iTunes and on SoundCloud, which means you didn't listen to it live. This is an opportunity for you to ask us questions so we can answer them on a future show. Um, and we hope you can take advantage of it. So, and let's start with the first one. This comes from Ronk in Maryland. He's a, 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 a longtime Division Three fan. He, he has a, a, a rather interesting question. He says, I've heard from some of your Hoopsville coaching guests in the past year or two that they just like being limited to a welcome aboard meeting with their team in August and then can't talk with them again until preseason practice starts. I would think that uh, freshman, he calls them frosh, especially could benefit from some more discussion than this during the transition from high school. Maybe this is how the NCAA wants them to grow up, but I'm surprised that these coaches haven't requested a discussion of relaxation of the rule. Um, I'll start with this and say, yes, it is a conversation. If you might remember, I wrote a blog about it at the beginning of the year, and I'm even calling for some changes. I will say it's not easy. I will say it's been discussed, uh, and I think it's being discussed as possibly a piece of legislation. But here's the trick, and here's the rub. The presidents don't want this to be a job. And remember one little detail, that little detail being that coaches can certainly talk to students more than just that one time. That's about the only team meeting that they can have before the preseason. But they can talk to the students whenever they come into the office. The trick is they can only talk about life. I'm a former student athlete myself, I didn't necessarily just go to my coach every day or, or a couple times a week or once a week just to touch base about the rest of life, especially when you were a freshman. Now, I, was, I had the advantage of being a soccer player, so I was already into the mix. But as a freshman, I would not have thought, hey, let me go to the coach who I have actually started to work with in any way, shape, or form or have a relationship in any way, shape, and form outside of maybe recruiting. I'm going to go talk to him about what's going on and how I can adjust. It's just I don't think it's part of the mix, uh, especially for basketball players. Every other sport except for winter sports gets the opportunity to do more in the fall. The spring sports can have non-traditional seasons in the fall, uh, and obviously the fall sports have, are there before the – Regular students come on campus anyway. It's only the winter sports. It's only the ice hockey. It's only the basketball. It's only the wrestling that have these limitations. But, and this is the rub, 
president, if the coaches want this, the presidents are going to want something from the coaches. Are the coaches willing to give up some time from their schedule to make this work? From the 19 weeks that is Division Three basketball, will they give up time to get time? My proposal, and it's not foolproof, but I think it's a good base to start from, is let's take some time from the preseason. Basketball has more practices in the preseason than any other sport. And I'm including football in this. I think the math is if you look at four weeks, and I know the NESCAC, the Midwest Conference, maybe in the Centennial, do not have, it, we're not getting into that. For the most part, traditional Division Three basketball program has four weeks of practices, give or take, if they actually start on November 15th. But if they start on October 15th, they have basically six practices a week for four weeks. 24-plus practices. We're, we're, we're closing in on 30 before the first game. You don't get that in soccer. You don't get that. Maybe in football you do, but you don't get that in other sports. Do we really need 24 to 30 practices before the first game? M maybe not. I, I mean, coaches are going to argue both ways on that way. But let's take a week and a half out of that. Cut the practices by a week and a half. But give that time now in September. And now a coach can meet with players and can meet and start working on things that they would have worked on in October anyway. And then give the players about four weeks off, give or take. I'm not sure about all those. That's where it gets a little muddy here. I think that idea is worth exploring. And that gives those freshmen and those students the opportunity to, be, to meet with their coach and get into a routine ahead of time. There's a lot of talk about getting into routines and how that is beneficial. There's a lot of talk about having coaches understand students ahead of time. I think that's legitimate, but the coaches are going to have to give something up for the presidents to approve it. That's the rub, and and you know coaches don't want to necessarily give up anything, and the presidents aren't going to give it to them. So I don't know where this lies. I do know that there's been conversations about some type of legislation to solve this. I think if they're smart, they bring hockey along in the conversation, maybe even wrestling and make this a bigger conversation than just basketball. But they're going to have to give something up, and I think where you want need to give it up is in the preseason practices. So instead of October 15th, maybe we're starting October 25th. That's where I think it might be an interesting rub. Uh, we'll get to another difference in the preseason coming up in our next uh, after our questions. Our next question comes from Jim in Madison. Do you know of players that have played in the system that have gone into coaching but do not play the system? Teaching half-court defense may be the most challenging aspect of the activities, in my opinion, and that is not part of the system. And obviously we're talking about the system that is played by Grinnell and others. Great article from Ryan Scott about those programs in Division Three who play some variation of the system in men's and women's basketball. Uh, he wrote it about two weeks ago. Very much worth checking out. Um, I don't know of anybody who has played in the system who's gone on to coaching. That does not mean they're not out there, but let's be honest. The most likely, unless they stay at a school that is dedicated to the system, and for the most part, that's Grinnell, and it's no other schools. There are other schools who have played it, but they don't haven't played it long enough that it is part of their culture. Redlands was the closest to that, and they have they have gone away from it with their new coach. So unless a player who's played in the system stays at the school to learn more about it as an assistant coach, chances are if they stayed in coaching, they have gone on 
and there isn't the system. Yes, I think learning the X's and O's in half-court defense is a little bit more difficult, but let's also remember something else here. For the most part, coming through high school, they were probably learning that stuff, and that coming into a high college program and playing the system is unique. I, I am not going to deny that offensive idea probably hasn't gotten into high school, but not at any significant number. So most likely they already have some of that experience. And when they go on to coach, they're going to go to other schools that do that. Uh, I don't know of any other coach. The only other coach that I know who's come out of a system school is David Arsenault Jr. He obviously is at Grinnell now. Most likely will be he's interim head coach right now. I promise you by next year he's the head coach at Grinnell and his father has has retired from coaching. I, 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 that's how I'm reading the tea leaves. I, I can't imagine that's not how this is going to turn out. Um, by all intents and purposes, Arsenault Jr. is going to be the new head coach year. He went on to the D-League because they wanted him to do that at the D-League. So, yeah, he's part of the system. He's how that evolution works. I don't see how anybody else has done it. Uh, the next question I'm going to read, but I don't have a good answer to. I'm going to work on this for Sunday. Question back from Jim again in Madison. says, what teams are having huge improvements this season that won three or the year before? Uh, great question. I don't have a good answer off the top of my head. Uh, you could probably look at a hoopsville guess to figure out some, but not any that I remember this year have had that scenario. We'll look into it, and I'll give you a better answer on Sunday. I just ran out of time to do some research on that question, but I wanted to acknowledge that the question was asked. Let's talk about the NCAA convention as we're way into overtime here. Um, two things that were voted on at the NCAA convention that have direct uh, ramifications to Division Three basketball. Um, the first um, is I'm, I'm remembering some details in my head here. Uh, actually, you could argue there's three. One, uh, they deregulated some things regarding camps recruiting. It's a little complicated, but basically tryouts and or or um, um, checking out students, potential recruits uh, at camps on campus is now pretty much allowed as long as there's no benefits to those student athletes, as long as those student athletes didn't have um, something along the lines of... Um, a benefit to go to the camp, like a discount or anything like that. They can do that. So that is one of those things. Um, mandatory day off for track and swimming programs um, was a, was um, uh, was uh, approved. Uh, basically, what they've done here is they've allowed that swimming. The day offs can be, I think that was what I'm talking about here, um, do not have to be set in stone. Um, so you don't all have to be off on Sunday. They can rotate it. So um, student, let's say the uh, long distance runners can be off on Monday. The throw, the the field, the throwers, for example, can be off on Tuesday. The sprinters can be off on Wednesday or whatever. It is a logistical nightmare. Um, I've been told a lot of conferences and a lot of um, schools are not going to adopt this policy necessarily. That it's been passed. It can be happen, but force it for compliance it's problematic what i why i bring this up is this could potentially end up in other other sports could see this and go hey like football could be like oh if we gave our our special teams monday off and we gave our defense tuesday off and we gave our offense sunday off oh we could get would come and so basketball, you could potentially see, hey, because of schedules, maybe we start giving players different days off. Not saying it's happening. I'm just bringing it up because that's usually how these things manifest themselves. So don't be surprised. The big one that's going to affect Division Three: standardized of annual contest 
date of completion exemptions proposal was adopted. What this means is that now all Division Three sports will have four exemptions. One is very common. It's the conference championships. For example, the UAA does not use that, but everybody else does. So if you have a conference championship uh, tournament, that is an exemption outside of your, of your schedule. So men's basketball, you have 25 dates for the most part. Um, you have an exemption to, pl- to have one more con- competition being the conference tournament. doesn't matter how many days. That is, an, that is an exemption to your schedule outside of the 25 games that's allowed. Second exemption is the NCAA postseason tournaments, whether it be ECAC or NCAA. That is another exemption outside of those 25 games. And then we've had uh, exemptions, I believe, in basketball. It's at least three, two preseason or scrimmages, and one being an alumni game that you can have as well. That's being cut to two. Two. Alumni game counts. Two. That's if participating in the alumni game. There's some, like McDaniel on Saturday had their alumni game. It's just the alumni playing the alumni. Um, but if you use an alumni game as part of everything, that is now, um, we're down to two. So teams are losing, but basketball is going to lose for some scrimmage slash exhibition um, there. We're down to two. The rule I need to check is the way I read the rule or could read the rule that the loophole that is allowing those exhibition games to take place after November 15th might be gone, but the couple that haven't gotten back to me, I need to check on that. I could be wrong, but the way I read it, it made it sound like it's now you got to get those games done before November 15th, which was the intent of the rule in the first place. We won't get into the complication of how that got misread, miswritten, really, and adjusted. I'm curious, though, if all those events have to take place before November 15th. And then the bigger thing of this is this now adds it across the boards for all sports. So sports like field hockey, who did not even have um, preseason exhibition or scrimmages, will now have them. But in basketball, we're cutting one. So it used to be three exemptions, or, or there's an alumni exemption and the preseason exemption allowing three dates. That is now going to be cut to two dates. That's it for basketball. So a little bit of what's going on. There were some other things that took place in the NCAA convention that affects all student-athletes, um, but we won't go into them now, especially considering we were way past dead uh, late on this show, so we're going to wrap things up. I want to thank all of you who tuned in, certainly in a, a jam-packed show. If you missed any of it, go watch it on demand. Go back into the system and enjoy that. Um, you can watch it on demand, or when the podcast gets turned around, you can listen to it on the podcast on SoundCloud or on um, iTunes. Uh, remember the mailbag segment. You can email us hoopsville at d hoopsville at d three hoops dot com. You can also uh, tweet us at d three hoopsville or hashtag hoopsville. Join us on Facebook at facebook dot com slash hoopsville as well. That's going to be it. We're going to be back on Thursday evening at seven o'clock. Don't forget, we will. I said by tonight we would be talking more about the fundraiser. Unfortunately, that's going to have to wait till Thursday. I know we're running time now but we'll run to the end of the regular season at least so we'll hopefully get a little bit of a push uh, we will announce information on the fundraiser but in a week and a half we'll have the hoopsville marathon as well talk more about that coming up on thursday we'll also talk about the east mid-atlantic great lakes and west regions for the most part along with the nabc coaches corner I want to thank all of our guests st uh, mary's um coach uh Coppolino for joining us from castleton uh, coach cupola cupola Coupla joining, join, sorry, my brain is shut off, clearly. Uh, from Mac Murray in the WBCA Center Court segment, uh, Derek James for joining us from Rippon, uh, Ryan Kane, and, of course, from Guilford, 
Tom Palumbo for joining us. I want to thank their SIDs as well for their support of us and the show and supporting our abilities to put it on the air. Thank you for all for tuning in as well. I'll tell your friends about the show. This is how you can catch up on Division Three, and we hope you will um, enjoy doing so uh, and taking part. We've got a lot of big things to talk about coming up. Stay tuned to Hoopsville. We're on the air Sundays and Thursdays, 7 o'clock Eastern Time. Reminder that the marathon coming up is a difference than that. On Super Bowl Sunday, we'll be on at an earlier time as well, but we'll have more details down the road. Follow any uh, news updates on Hoopsville on Instagram and Facebook as well. New Top 25 comes out tomorrow. Don't expect too many shakeups, but find out a lot of the top teams won, so I don't see anything major being decided. It might be an easier Top 25 than normal. Uh, but we'll see what happens tomorrow when they get released on Monday night. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thanks to everybody for their support, and thanks to the guests for coming on the show. You've been listening to Hoops Show, presented by, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBC ABC Studios. We're off the air until Thursday night, but stay in touch with us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and email. Good night, everybody.